Hey guys, it's Jason. I just wanted to apologize right off the top. The audio quality on this one is not quite where we usually like it to be. Uh, Skype apparently decided to hate me, and uh, despite the fact that I messed with my audio for a half hour to get it correct before the show, uh, apparently it decided to reset itself. So my microphone volume was a lot louder than I would have liked it to be. I've cleaned it up as much as possible, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, it's a great episode. we got a great guest. Check it out. Rundown, episode 316. Theme song! Ladies and gentlemen, we are live! Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is the main event of the evening. Please welcome your host for today. Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. And Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? Look at it this way. It's the first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick. You work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks anyway. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. Well, enough is enough, and it's time for... The Rundown. It is your main event. It is episode 316 of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. What? I am your host, Jason. And as you can tell, despite what you heard in the theme song... I am not joined this week by Troy. He is on assignment. At least that's what he told me. I assume on assignment means he is sampling some of the finest gentlemen's clubs up in the Milwaukee area. But we have all of our normal segments this week. We're going to take you through our perfect 10. We're going to go through all the news items that matter to you. And we are, in fact, going to go through and give you our TLC predictions. And when I say are, that's because I'm not flying solo tonight. I know you guys don't want to hear me talk for two hours because we've done that before, and it's some of our lower ratings, so I'm not going to do that to you. So I brought a special guest, and if you follow us on social media, and if you're not, really, you should be. If you follow us on social media, you know who our special guest is, but if you don't, allow me to introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend. He has come all the way from the Yesterland Waltz Studios. He is the host on Tough TV of the new show Yesterland Waltz, and as of tonight, is my third favorite Michaels in the wrestling business, following only Sean, Trina. He is the man, the myth, Justin Michaels. Justin, thank you for joining us on the rundown this week. Oh, it's my pleasure, but already we're going to have to start off here. Third favorite Michaels, and you put Trina ahead of me. Now, I have a, a, a magazine article from about when I was two years into this business that was actually a contest uh, between Justin Michaels and Trina Michaels to see who would get to uh, be more likely to make it to the WWE? And I won with like 70-something percent of the vote. So don't give me into that third Michaels, that third favorite Michaels crap. I've got to be at least number two or tied with with uh, with Trina, which being tied to Trina wouldn't be such a bad thing. Well, sometimes you have to pay extra for that. Um, <laughs> what I can tell you is I like you guys for very different reasons, so you can draw your own conclusions from I'm, that. <laughs> I can I I know exactly where you're at with that, but we'll leave it at that. So, Justin, let's tell our fans a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know I got this whole sheet of, of interesting facts about you, but it's always much better when it comes from yourself. Um, as I understand it, you got your start in show business by sort of teaching yourself how to play the guitar, which sounds like a pretty cool thing to be able to do. 
Um, yeah, well, the guitar didn't come much into play, but you're definitely right with the music aspect. When I was probably around 14, um, uh, now my father was a musician and my stepdad at the time also was a musician. So I was being raised in that kind of atmosphere. Um, I taught myself how to play drums. My stepfather at the time had a drum kit that was set up, a full drum kit. So I would throw on the headphones and uh, basically just play along the songs and, and taught myself how to play drums and then uh, taught myself to play guitar the same year. I had some friends show me how to play bar chord, and then you can pretty much play anything with that, and then teach me some basic chords, and just went from there, started songwriting, and uh, got into music, played in bands, and that was actually my my main focus um, in in the beginning, my early years growing up. My career choice was going to be a rock star, for, for lack of a better word, um, and that went for a good long time. Um, I, I followed that dream from probably 17 years old up until my thir- uh, early 30s, and at that point was when I went, you know what, um, record labels these days aren't fighting each other to sign, you know, mid 30 year old guys to, to rock star contracts. Uh, you may get away with that in country music, but you're not going to get away with that in, in modern rock music. So that's kind of where I started. And that's where the gear started to shift into the professional wrestling era. And uh, you have some very sort of interesting familial ties to the wrestling business, right? I do, actually, and that's uh, where my, my love for the business comes from. Uh, I believe you're speaking of my grandfather, uh, who wrestled under the uh, the name Sergeant Bobby Allen back in the territorial days. We're talking the, uh, the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, he worked with the original Sheik. That was the promoter at the time in the Ohio uh, territories, um, was under the NWA umbrella, and my grandfather actually uh, was a short period of time title holder, uh, one of those transitional title holders, um, but got to keep the title belt. So it's still in our family. We have uh, an actual NWA title belt uh, that my grandfather had won uh, back in the territory days. And when I was a child starting to grow up, I, my grandfather at that time was the head of security at the local arena. So when WWF at the time would come to town for TV tapings, he'd take me to work with him. So I got to see the whole production being set up. Uh, I remember one of my first memories was seeing the ultimate warrior uh, come walking in the back in street clothes. And it blew my mind, because for some reason, I just thought he walked around in the tassels and face paint all the time, uh, you know. Uh, I think but, at a certain point he did. I don't think you would fall off on that. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, but my grandfather was lucky enough to work with guys like Bobo Brazil, Bruno San Martino, things like that. And Bruno was uh, part of the, the commentating team back then. And so, you know, I've seen my grandfather talking with these guys. And it was really cool to be that kid at school who had the grandfather that had the ends with all that and also was giving me the secrets because in the 80s, uh, kayfabe was still very much alive. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we didn't know if the blood was real, if the chairs and tables were real and you know, all that stuff. And my grandfather would give me the inside uh, scoop and I would share it with the kids at school and, you know, get kind of points of being the cool guy that knows all this cool stuff about wrestling. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, that, that is my my link there and very proud of it, um, you know. Very proud to be in this business and and have that type of heritage to to start with, and it helped me a lot during the way when I was just a big mouth that nobody had ever heard of. Uh, it at least gave me some type of weight to say, okay, you know, he's he's maybe we could at least give this guy a little bit of a chance because I wasn't, I was kind of kicking the door in, I wasn't knocking lightly. <laughs> <laughs> now that's awesome, and uh, much like myself, you're a bigger guy, but you're not necessarily the physically imposing. Uh, Correct. You know, big jacked up guy. So you decided as you entered the business yourself, you weren't going to pursue an in-ring career, but rather follow in the footsteps of guys like Bobby Heenan and um, I, I'm trying to think of some other J.J. Dillon, et cetera, and really kind of Absolutely. work to get, get other guys over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
it all comes down to laziness, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I never was a physical guy. I never uh, liked working out or gym class. You know, I, I, I wouldn't even dress for gym class. I was the guy sitting up in the bleachers with his Walkman on. Um, so uh, when it came time to get in and the way that I got in actually was just it was after I had my uh, just shortly after I got my communications degree, I was looking in the newspaper and in the classified ads, there was a local promotion that put their show on public access and they were looking for a commentator. So I answered that ad. Uh, they were called Unified Championship Wrestling. They were in Dayton, Ohio. And I walked in. They handed me a microphone. They said, OK, uh, I want you to interview this wrestler. And that's all the direction they gave me. So I turned it on. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are today, blah, blah, blah. Uh, finished the interview, went to hand the mic back, and they said, you want a job? And uh, that's where it started. So I started commentating. Uh, that was in Ohio. Moved down to Florida and kind of got out of it. Thought that I really wouldn't have much to do with it again until I made friends with um, a, an indie wrestler uh, by the name of Deacon Starr, who was in the indie scene. And he kind of brought me into one of the lower-level shows doing uh, the, the music for the guys coming out and eventually into ring announcing. Um, and then at that point, I started getting a little bored um, and I took a step back and said, look, I really don't want to continue this unless I can get a gimmick. I'd like to you know, be a GM type character or, or do a manager thing. And they're like, OK, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, so when they gave me the opportunity, I really uh, took the ball and ran. Um, I asked my friend uh, Deacon Starr, I said, OK, if I'm starting this out, how do I make a name for myself? And at the time, there was the wrestling 911 message boards that everybody in the state of Florida uh, would follow the whole indie circuit. So I went on there and be basically proclaimed myself to be the best, the next best thing. There was a, a thread called the most controversial man in Florida. And I took it over claiming to be that the, that the the thread was about me, which it wasn't. But I turned it into about me, uh, which started a lot of controversy because uh, a lot of guys that have been in the business for a while don't like when new guys come in and start running their mouth. Um, and that led to uh, friction and some a couple of scary moments in my early days. L little heat there. Uh, yes, just a little bit, to say the least. Uh, and still some of it actually probably carries over to this day. Uh, it does take a while sometimes, especially when you're not an in-ring guy and you're not taking those bumps with the boys. It does take a while to uh, sort of endear yourself to them sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a uh, it is a boys club uh, of sorts, and there are stripes to be earned uh, once you get into this business. Absolutely. Now, we could sit here and trade stories about uh, coming up through the indies all night, but you're also here tonight uh, because you have a very exciting new project that you're just kind of venturing into, uh, getting into the television game with the show Yesterland Waltz on Tough TV. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about how the show concept came about first, and then we'll get into a little bit more specifics. All right, well, this will actually take us to the very uh, tail end of uh, the wrestling stuff, because I started working for a company called New Heights Wrestling in uh, Defuniac Springs uh, doing television, um, and uh, the promoter of that show and producer of that show was Norm Kaiser. And Norm Kaiser was working on a television concept that he had, and the the character in the show um, that he had I had envisioned fit very similarly to my gimmick in professional wrestling. So uh, he very kindly asked me if I would be interested in doing this uh, this concept. And so the concept of Yesterland Waltz is at its heart, it is a clip show of um, old comedy bits jack benny the honeymooners laurel and hardy things ba basically things that are in public domain that you don't have to pay for <laughs> now i as the host i think uh in the pilot episode i think that i'm getting my big break i've signed a contract for this show and i think it's a late night talk show uh with celebrities and big time you know network i quickly realize that i'm not 
uh, hosting the show I thought that I was. I'm hosting this old clip show and find out that I was tricked into signing the contract by my agent so that he could get the commission. The, the contract is for seven years, and now I'm trapped hosting this show that I absolutely hate. So the concept is now I'm trying to be the world's worst TV show host and trying to find ways to get the show canceled and get the show fired. So it's kind of this dual uh, concept. You've got the comedy clips, and there are factoids that pop up uh, during the clips to give you, um, you know, just little facts about the people in them and the time period. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, the other half is the shenanigans. There's a lot of slapstick comedy and, and things like that involved with. Uh, my side of the show where I host everything. So uh, thankful to Norm Kaiser for coming up with the concept, including me in it. And right here, I guess uh, I did mention on Facebook recently, but this will be the first media announcement of this. We just got word about two days ago. Um, and the show is on Tough TV for everybody listening. It is a network uh, that you can find on uh, the cable, uh, your cable networks, but also is online at live.toughtv.com. Just got word two days ago that Tough TV has renewed us for a second season. Uh, so we will be shooting uh, season two coming up here in just a few weeks. Well, congratulations on that. That's uh, great news. And I'm happy you got to uh, break that news right here on the rundown. So that's awesome. Absolutely, uh, man. So it's, it's almost like a sort of two different segments to the show. You have the old timey clips with the pop up video style uh little splurges there and then uh -huh. your in-studio segments where you're kind of healing out about having this job that you hate exactly that is exactly correct it, it gets to the point uh where i'm basically hosting the show um in a bathrobe with a uh teddy bear you know in slippers and i really just give up on everything <laughs> i think at one point we dedicate a whole show to just playing monopoly <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And uh, you mentioned Norm. Shout out to Norm, too. He hooked this whole thing up. He got in touch with us, reached out to us, and uh, absolutely gave us the introduction. So he sounds like a great dude. So it's, you're very lucky to uh, come into contact with people like that. That's an understatement. Understatement. Absolutely. Now, uh, you talked a little bit about what the show is about. How long has this process been and from the idea, hey, do you want to do this, to, to where you are now? Uh, it, it's actually been going for a couple of years um, wow. when, from when he first came up with the concept and the idea. Then it was kind of like, OK, well, let me write a script and I'll send you a script and see what you think about it. Uh, then from there, we had to like, OK, let's do this. Let's find some time to shoot. Um, and the original idea actually was a YouTube series. And it, it originally was a YouTube series. And the episodes were like anywhere from three to five minutes long. Okay. Um, to be honest, the YouTube series didn't do very well, and we, we felt like after looking back at it, it was because that the, the, the clips were so short, uh, the episodes were so short, um, it didn't really give you time to settle in with the character, to settle in with the story of what actually is going on. And it, it, a lot of people with the, the question we got asked most was that that's it. Is there any, there's not more. And, you know, so what we did is we said, Hey, why don't we make it a longer format? And uh, we will uh, pitch it to TV. So that's what we did. We turned it into a whole half hour show. Um, and so now we're probably looking at from the first time I was asked to now about, I'd say, two years probably after wow. you know shooting the YouTube version and putting that up online and then reshooting it as the TV series, which is based follows the same plot. But we reshot the whole thing. And um, now we're gearing up again. We've got it. We've got just uh, they don't want to break between seasons. Uh, so so we've really got to get on the ball, get the second season written, uh, filmed, edited, produced. We're, but we're, we're, we're game for the challenge, most definitely. 
Uh, it's really cool when you work on something in a creative aspect like that because it does become such a living, breathing, changing organism over time. It's like as soon as you think you know what you're doing, it's like, ah, mm. yeah, no, we got to change that and do it a completely different way. Yeah, and you absolutely. as a performer just have to sort of adjust on the fly. And I imagine your experience in the wrestling business, you know, having a microphone in your hand in front of a crowd of people, that really has to help you to be able to constantly move on your feet and change, change directions really quickly. It does, and it, it for the television show, the way that we shoot it, um, it has helped me tremendously uh, because Norm uh, will will write the script, every word of the script, every episode, as if you know it was going to be read word for word. Mm-hmm. But what we actually end up doing is I read the script, uh, figure out what 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 the message is in the, each scene, what what the point is we're trying to get across. Um, I find out what the bullet points are, uh, some of the jokes that are written in the script that we definitely want to hit. And then I go in and I improvise each scene. So it's a lot like doing uh, wrestling. You know, it's the same thing as cutting a good promo. You know what what the message is you're trying, what you're trying to sell, uh, what your bullet points are and your couple little little catchy lines you want to say. And you just kind of go out and wing it. Um, You don't you know, you don't write it down every single word for word in the back and come out and recite it like a script. You you go out there and and wing it uh, with your bullet points. And um, so I felt very comfortable in that in the shooting process for Yesterland Watts. Awesome. Now, in terms of your wrestling career, uh, we talked about how you got sort of broken as a manager and it's a little bit tougher. Uh, how did you find the ability to get yourself on shows at, at early on in the process? How, with no real experience, did you did you rely on your sort of family history to kind of open some doors for you? Uh, I, I relied on friends. As I mentioned, Deacon Starr, who had kind of uh, welcomed me into one of the lower level shows uh, at the time. Um, you know, they were running at a bar. Uh, things like that. And um, really, it was just, you know, it just started as me playing music. I, that's all I was doing. I was just the mu- the entrance music guy. Okay. And then the ring announcer kind of fell fell out. So then I started ring announcing. And once I really got on a microphone, uh, people could hear my tone, uh, the way that I was able to speak. Um, that kind of led to things. But where I got my first real indie break, uh, moving up from a kind of a lower level show to more of a, a legitimate uh, indie show, uh, was after the 911 uh, pages when I kept kind of going on that thread, which, by the way, uh, not to toot my own horn, but that thread became the most viewed, replied to, uh, the most popular thread in that website's history um, <laughs> because of the fight that broke out on there. What ended up happening was a lot of people said, you know, uh, you're saying you're the best. Um, you know, you're talking all this shit, but you, you have, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to use oh, that language. No, no, don't worry about it. Trust me. You're good. <laughs> all right. Good, good. But the point was I was on there talking a lot of shit and, and people were like, this is not how you get noticed. And I'm like, what? Not talk shit. This is wrestling. I thought that was one of the main things you do right. in professional wrestling. But, but honestly, they were right in the, uh, shoot aspect of it behind the scenes of how things work. I was doing things all wrong. And plus, people were like, well, you're no Simon Says. Uh, Simon Says is probably one of the best uh, talkers on the mic uh, in independent wrestling. Um, he, he hasn't worked that much lately, but down here in Florida was one of the best. Mm-hmm. And the way he handled this was just by coming onto these threads and every once in a while would throw an LOL in there. <laughs> he wouldn't even really give me the time of day. Um, and I was just continuing to talk shit about everybody uh, until one day. And this is the first time this story is being told because we held on to kayfabe for this for uh, our entire run because we had a nice little feud. Um, I got a message from Simon and it said, um, here's my private number. I'd like you to call me. So I called him on the phone and uh, the first question he asked me, he said, 
what is it that you think you're doing with this whole message board and, and everything? Uh, I had started also filming these webisodes, which are still up on YouTube, uh, TVJMs, uh, that were like 10 minutes long, basically calling out the entire indie scene in Florida, just trying to get people to notice me. So his first question was, what do you think you're doing? And I said, to be honest with you, I'm just trying to get myself noticed. I think I have some talent and I'm working on a show where some people have been kind enough to let me, uh, you know, kind of learn the ropes a little bit. But I need to get to a better place, a bigger show with better talent to learn from. And he said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. He said, why don't we do this? We'll keep the kayfabe of this fight going on uh, online. And uh, in a couple months, we'll bring you up to Orlando and we'll debut you. And that's what happened. Um, Simon brought me in uh, with a lot of um, pushback from probably half the locker room because I, since I'd only been around for a few months, a lot of people didn't feel I deserved to be in that locker room at that time, at that point yet. Uh, and he was kind enough to take me under his wing. Uh, he saw that I had a natural talent to do something and felt that he could nurture that, and he did. Uh, and that's where I got my first break. I started really got to work with guys like Francisco Chiazzo, um, and, and guys like that. They were bringing in guys from TNA into those shows. So I was getting to sit under the learning tree and I spent about two, two and a half years at vintage, uh, learning the game and, uh, learning how to hone my craft there. It was a great experience. That's awesome. Now, as an indie manager, um, you look at the main roster of like the WWE, the biggest the biggest entity in the world of professional wrestling, uh-huh. and really outside of Paul Heyman, there aren't really, and he's not even he's technically you know an advocate, but there mm. really aren't managers. There really aren't. Nobody's using heaters anymore. Do you sort of feel like that's something that's missing from the product that they could really sort of integrate as a way to get some of these struggling guys over more? I absolutely do. Now I may be a bit biased uh, in that opinion, you know, being uh, that of course. Uh, the dream, at least for everybody, or most people in our industry, is to get that brass ring and get a shot to work uh, with the WWE. Um, so, of course, I would personally love to see there be a little bit more of it. I don't think there should be the saturation uh, that there was back in the 80s of it. But, uh, you know, another two two managers on the scene would, would be fun to watch, especially if they're anywhere as good as Paul Heyman. Um, I kind of learned through my indie career, um, although that. I think talent wise, I, I could fit in well. My biggest problem, uh, as you mentioned, is that I'm kind of a large guy. I'm mm-hmm. six foot three. So as though I'm not physically imposing muscle wise, um, being six foot three is a huge disadvantage as a, a wrestling manager to try and get over in, um, you know, the bigger arenas because you're going to make your, <laughs> the guy you're working with, if he happens to be an inch shorter than you, um, that doesn't look good for the wrestler to be shorter than his manager. Mm. So, um, but, uh, you know, so that's where these different avenues, Yesterland Waltz and I, you know, commentary, uh, do running commentary for shows, things like that. I've found other avenues to work in and, uh, keep working towards hopefully one day making that big jump to, uh, WWE. Yeah, and as a six foot eight guy who's been a ring announcer and a backstage interviewer, I can totally feel your pain on that one. Absolutely. Uh, now, before we get into to the perfect ten and we start talking about the week that was, um, Norm threw a little note in here in, in this mm-hmm. sheet, and, I, and I'm reading it, and it's really just jumping off the page at me. So I have to ask you about it. Did you get stuffed into a coffin at some point? <laughs> he loves this story. Norm loves this story. I don't. I'd be sure it involves a coffin, uh, but it, it's basically exactly what you're thinking. Um, but there are a few little twists that that make me look pretty good in the story, I guess. Um, they had come up with a gimmick. Um, I was managing a guy at New Heights, New Heights Wrestling, uh, J.L. Rose. We were feuding with the champion at the time, Mike Faison. And um, their idea was they wanted me to start uh, pulling this 
uh, coffin around to psychologically get in the mind of Mike Face and that his career was dead and that, you know, obviously people are going to think we're going to try and stuff him in the coffin. And um, so they had asked Mike, hey, uh, are you okay with getting put in the coffin? And he said, absolutely not. There's no way it's going to happen. You can fire me. I don't care. You're not putting me inside that coffin. So they came to me. They said, well, let's flip it. Maybe Mike puts Justin in the coffin. Uh, and I am particularly game for just about anything uh, to the point of stupidity when it comes to uh, the wrestling shows. I, I so much just want the fans to walk out of that place with uh, some type of wow factor that if somebody asked me to go through a flaming table, I'd do it. So they came to me. You want to go in the coffin? I'm sure. Sounds like fun. Let's do it. Uh, there's not been any dead bodies in there, have there? <laughs> no, no. So supposedly the, the promoter knows a, a friend who owns a funeral home. Um, and, uh, somehow had just gotten the thing to have fun with. So of course, then we set it up. We do, uh, they put it in the ring. Mike, you know, grabs me around, shoves me in the coffin and I was all game for it. I wasn't worried one bit. I'd even gotten in it earlier in the day to lay down, make sure I would fit inside, uh, but was not closed inside. Uh, once it was showtime and Mike stuffed me inside and slammed the lid shut. It was a in, in, an entirely different story. Um, I'm telling you, you think it's not a big deal when a coffin lid slams down over your face. First thing is it feels like the air just just immediately gets cut off, um, which it, it would. But that they had removed the seals. But there's still this impact of the air being removed from you um, and this cla- obvious the, the claustrophobia. So uh, Mike is outside pounding on this this coffin and everything, you know, trying to go to town on it. Uh, then eventually I get out of it. But it was a scary probably what was 30 seconds felt like 30 minutes. I mean, it, it felt like a long time before they let me out. Um, and then I found out afterwards the, the kicker to the story, I guess why Norm, I think, loves the story so much <laughs> is that I was told that, um, by the way, um, that actually was a used coffin. Oh, jeez. Um, they had a dead body in the coffin. They were moving the body out of uh, the, uh, you know, in the coffin, and it got hit a corner of something and scratched the coffin. So they had to take the body out and put it in another coffin because they, obviously they paid for a nice coffin. Um, so yeah, so I got to lay down and, and get stuffed into a coffin that had a dead body in it and wasn't told until after the fact. But it wouldn't have changed anything. I, like I said before, I'll. I'll do anything uh, at a show if I feel like it's the right thing to do and it's going to put a smile or a, a wow face on the, on the crowd out there. Well, and that's not something you see on an indie show, so I imagine that has a pretty good uh, reaction from the crowd when you go that oh, way. Oh, yeah, and I tell you, New Heights wrestling fans are are, are really some of the, the greatest fans I've worked for. Um, I joke a lot up there. It's, it's uh, in the panhandle of Florida, close to Alabama, which I give uh, a lot of hell. Uh, Alabama is one of my least favorite places to go. <laughs> and, and then when I get up in the panhandle, I pretty much tell them we're going to give you to Alabama. So, <laughs> Oh, there you go. All right. Well, Justin, uh, awesome. I appreciate all that, that info and we'll be talking throughout the rest of the show, but I don't know if you're familiar with it, but this is a segment we like to call on our show. The perfect 10. The perfect 10. A 10, a 10, a fucking 10. And we are going to lead off this week's edition of The Perfect Ten with the biggest story from this week's edition of Monday Night Raw. The Shield went full classic. And speaking of old things, they brought Kane into the mix. So if you haven't caught this week's edition of Monday Night Raw, the opening segment featured Kurt Angle coming out and quickly being interrupted by the classic Shield theme, uh, Sierra Hotel, etc., etc., 
the, the shield then appears, old school style, walking down through the crowd. I say old school, it's been like five years. But in any event, old school style, walking down through the crowd. <laughs> Full, uh, full tactical gear. None of the, you know, Ambrose did his hair old school style. The only thing missing was the blonde from Seth's hair. I think that would have been an awesome touch, but they didn't go there. But they get in the ring. They basically tell Kurt Angle get the hell out. Uh, he does so. We of course get the the Miztourage comes out. It's a whole deal, uh, and we end up in a segment where the again, and and we've talked about this in the past, and and Justin, you're probably missed it before but similar to braun Strowman and and rome and uh big show a couple weeks ago we have a steel cage match between two guys we have no build for it it's not the culmination of a feud it's not a heated rivalry it's just a cage and we've got it in the building so we'll use it uh they throw braun Strowman and roman reigns into this cage match and they add the stipulation that if anybody i'm sorry if, if braun Strowman wins they get to add a fifth person because reasons um of course the crowd and everybody else thinks it's curtis axel the crowd reacted great for curtis axel at which point you knew it wasn't going to be them because they would have to give people what they want so that wasn't going to happen um justin i did what did you think of this whole thing and ultimately the reveal that the fifth man is going to be kane Here's the thing. A lot of people I've heard talking this week have been talking about how it's a nostalgia trip. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh, that it's only been, you know, four or five years since The Shield was together. To me, it's not much of a nostalgia trip, you know, for somebody that's grown up through the 80s, 90s and 2000s of wrestling. Um, and also to me, the story um, for me isn't isn't the actual storyline that we're seeing on TV. The story for me is that personally, I think this is a way to try and hit the reset button on the Romans, uh, Roman Reigns push. Mm. Uh, I, I think that that, um, that that the whole failure of the Roman Reigns singles push after the Shield, I mean, they've been trying that, that since day one that the Shield uh, disbanded. Um, I honestly feel like the whole purpose of this is to hit the reset button on that push for Roman Reigns that they botched so badly before. Yeah, absolutely. And I always, I've always contended on this show that the, the Roman Reigns push really kind of faltered when they put him with the big show so early on because you had matches that just weren't exciting. They didn't, they couldn't showcase the things Roman Reigns could really do uh, in the ring physically. And I think the crowd just sort of lost interest and it dragged on forever. Um, so in that vein, let's bring Kane into the mix because that's, you know. <laughs> um, although I'm still waiting to hear the explanation of how Kane, who was drafted to SmackDown, is now on Raw. Oh, that's just wrestling logic. It works. <laughs> it works very easily. We just act like it never happened. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and assume that he is also Kurt Angle's illegitimate son. Is, <laughs> is that fair? You think? So now Kurt Angle, that means he's technically related to the Undertaker, and Katie Vick falls in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, she falls in the cracks of wrestling history that we will never <laughs> ever speak of again. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up the Roman Reigns reset because. Very interesting dynamic on this week's Raw because when when Roman was out there with Seth and Dean, tremendous ovation. Yeah. And then he came out solo for the match, and you started to hear some of the boos again. Certainly not as overwhelming as they have been in the past, but mm-hmm. they're they're definitely still there. And I wonder if uh, how long yeah, this Mike, this runs. 
Yeah, but that's that's the thing. Uh, my guess is they're going to run the shield angle for a little while uh, until that bad taste of the Roman push gets out of the fans' mouths. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think you'll see that reset button really pushed for uh, for Roman. And I think the trick is, and what the problem was before, uh, was they immediately started to shove him down the fans' throats as the, the second coming, you know, that he was the next John Cena. And I, that's what the fans rebelled against. Uh, they didn't want to be told uh, who the new guy was. They wanted to make the new guy. So they, I think the, the, the run the shield thing, get the bad taste out of the mouths, and then hopefully let the Roman Reigns push happen a little more organically this time so that the fans uh, kind of feel like they had more of a hand in, in making him a star rather than the WWE saying, hey, this is the star. You need to cheer for him because it, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, and I always thought that was the interesting part. The build was going organically. They had uh, the Royal. You remember about the Royal Rumble when everyone wanted Roman to win, and he didn't, yeah. and they went crazy because he didn't win. So the next so year, WWE said, they, "Yeah." So next year they, they said, "All right, cool, we'll have him win." And then they said, "No, we don't want that anymore." But they kept because then at that point it was the, the fans wanted it to be Daniel Bryan's turn, mm-hmm. um, and so the WWE had a couple of years there where. Uh, they were a step behind the fans. You know, they kept uh, trying to give the fans what they want, but it just they were a step behind. So now they've just stopped trying to give them what they wanted at all. But we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> um, also this week, we saw, I guess, an interesting thing that took place on SmackDown because Jinder Mahal, who is still the worst heavyweight champion <laughs> possibly in history, um, comes out and issues the open, well, I guess the open challenge, but you know what I mean, uh, for the Royal Rumble, for Survivor Series, I'm stumbling over my words tonight, for Survivor Series against Brock Lesnar in the match that nobody is dying to see. Um, In fact, it's not even going to be for a title. It's going to be a non-title match because reasons. Um, But then we saw AJ Styles come out, and AJ sort of started talking about wanting a title shot, so in the same night, they set up two storylines for, for Jinder Mahal, which in some cases could be a good thing. My issue with that is you sort of made AJ feel like just a placeholder until you had Brock because that pay-per-view is not for four weeks and Lesnar's not going to appear on SmackDown because he doesn't get paid enough to do that. Um, this sort of made AJ feel a little bit less than to me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and And to be honest, I think they've got some of the roles swapped around as far as what the fans would want to see. Um, I personally would would much rather see the roles reversed and see a build up to an AJ Styles Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. um, uh, face off. Um, that's the more interesting matchup for me. Uh, but as they're they're doing this thing uh, with with Jinder Mahal and as you had mentioned, uh, not not one of the best. Uh, title holders and honestly i thought when he took the title and i think a lot of people thought he was just going to be a transitional champion Mm. um but not the case and the the one draw here the one draw is because of that uh we can hopefully look forward to uh brock lesnar you know beating the snot out of him for a little while well certainly now when you hear that they have this tour of india planned for december i think we can safely assume he's not losing the title till then Uh, right but, uh, yeah, I mean, sort of the mishandling of AJ all along has been, I mean, he spent months involved in, a, in a, the mid-card title feud, which he should be above. And granted, he had a nice long run with the championship. He had huge matches with Cena. It just feels like we're sort of missing the boat. That, that U.S. title feud between AJ and Owens should have 
been a lot it felt like it was going to be a lot bigger when it started and it just kind of seemed flat and i don't know if it was because it was the mid-card title or just because there was so much attention being paid by the creative team to the gender angle that this was just kind of like there it, it happens um it happens a lot i think in the wwe shows where uh so much uh, so much is uh, time and and direction is devoted to what they've got their sights set on that guys like AJ um I'm not punished is the wrong word they're not being punished but they 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 get the short end of the stick and things like this um when in all reality he he should be the one getting the, the bigger end of the stick mm-hmm. um you know I understand uh, WWE's thinking behind the gender mahal push um, they've got the whole thing getting uh, the network off in India. Um, they're they're trying to get a much bigger foothold there, and uh, business wise, it makes total sense. Um, and that's honestly for me has been the struggle uh, for professional wrestling for the WWE uh, since they went public. Um, that's kind of made it a more watered down product when it comes to the storylines and things like this happening. Yeah, and for better or worse, you watch those clips they put on SmackDown of Jinder's recent visit to India, and he certainly appears to be a gigantic star to those people. Um, So for better or worse, he's sort of got that part on lock now in in terms of perception over there. I don't know that he even needs the belt when he goes back there to be that level of star. No, but but with the business angle that they're taking, it helps tremendously to say, to show that country um that you know um you you know you can do it too you know it, it's it's not a, a white america thing uh or a white athlete uh, or american athlete uh type situation that's uh you know where it's predominantly those types of people winning in those situations uh the, the fans have now they've got their rocky to root for and now he's the champion and they still have him to root for uh to not lose that title uh, business wise it, it's it's great it's great for them um, what I think needs to happen is um, w- the American fans need to see that reaction, that that India reaction uh, more often. Um, I think it would help his character, would help um, either us like him a little more or accept him a little more uh, as a champion. And uh, on the other hand, uh, dislike him more as a heel. Yeah, and by all accounts, Jinder's supposedly a great guy, so I sort of feel bad at all the, the hate he's getting right now because I think it's really not his fault. It's more or less that he's put in a role where nobody wants him to be in. But he's also handling it, handling it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't hear him speaking publicly uh, and whining or bitching about any of this stuff that's going on. He's uh, doing exactly what they would expect of him uh, at the WWE, and uh, you know he's being the company man. I think he's handled it all very well. Um, it, 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 still, as you said, um, not an entertaining champion um, in my book or you know yours or a, a lot of people. But it doesn't mean that it can't. Uh, get to that if handled properly especially with this india tour that they're going to do yeah uh, we'll see how it plays out and, and, but obviously i think we're based on what we're seeing we're looking at probably a continued prolonged run at the top for jinder mahal hopefully not all the way to wrestlemania but fingers crossed and we'll see how that goes uh transitioning back to monday night raw we did have some things that happened that were not shield related including the continuation of the women's championship feud between Mickey James and Alexa Bliss, who is one of the favorites of the Rundown crew. Um, I will say this. You know that Mickey James is officially the number one contender 
because she pinned Alexa in a non-title match. And that's how the, that's how we build contenders in the WWE nowadays. No, oh, yeah, definitely. What I like to see though is that the re, the resurgence of um, the, as we mentioned earlier, the nostalgia factor. But these are still players that um, really can help elevate a lot of the talent. People uh, like you, Kane coming back, uh, and Mickey James. Um, I love seeing her back in the mix, um, getting uh, clean wins, uh, and, and helping to elevate those uh, girls that are taking the women's wrestling to the you know to the next level in WWE. Women's wrestling now. Um, I know a lot of people spend time skipping over that part, but women's wrestling in WWE um, is better than it has ever been. Um, These girls work so hard um, and a lot of them work at the same pace and the same um, with the same gusto as the guys do. Um, So bringing somebody back like Mickey James and and putting her in the mix and uh, with Natalia and girls like that, uh, it really makes for a great division. And I think what's sort of been really refreshing for me about this particular uh, feud is that you have Mickey, who's got the experience and the talent and the ability to, to get a feud over on the microphone, which is something that I think Alexa is, is tremendously gifted at and probably her strong suit even over her in-ring. But you look at some of the other girls who have amazing talents in the ring, the the, the Baileys, the, the Sashas, and as good as they are in the ring, they're still not at that level on the microphone. And, and Mickey's really done a great job there in making this feel important. Uh, maybe it's because she's been through Piggy James before, so she's been picked <laughs> on and bullied in, a, in an angle before, so she knows how to handle it. But I think she's really earned her stripes on the microphone with this. Oh, absolutely. And, and Mickey's, I mean, she's an old pro at this. I think with the newer talent these days, the problem is uh, is that everything is so overly scripted for, for promos. Um, it, the, as I mentioned before, with the way we do yesterday and waltz, where it's kind of like uh, how we do promos in the indies, where you kind of wing it, you know, which the point is you're trying to get over. And, and in doing that, it helps get your natural personality over to the fans, which is generally what they latch on to, you know, liking someone so well. Um, the problem with the promos these days, they're so overly scripted. Um, that personality doesn't get a chance to shine through. Uh, the, the person on the microphone is so worried about making sure they're sticking to the script and not pissing anybody off in the back because of it um, that if they feel like they're walking on a tightrope, I think, at times. Um, of course, there are, are people that that doesn't bother that can still shine through things like that, like Enzo Amore and, and uh, guys like that, Bray Wyatt. Um, but for somebody that doesn't have the natural speaking uh, ability to just go out there and, and speak off, you know, to, to get their charisma over naturally. Uh, they need to have less scripting to allow that to, to build and to uh, be nurtured. Yeah. And you may go out there and you may have a Lucha things moment like Kalisto, um, but eventually you're going to learn and get better from that. And, and that's part of the growing process. But if you never get the chance to sort of fall flat, you never get a chance to get better. You just kind of stay status quo at the same level. Exactly. And I hope I hope that, you know, sees a turn someday where they start giving uh, the talent a little more uh, creative control of going out there and doing those uh, promos. And I know 
I've, I've heard many podcasts, you know, the Stone Cold Steve Austin's, uh, Chris Jericho, they guys that were in the era of the 90s where things were a lot less scripted. And they say it all the time. These these promos are way too scripted and it affects uh, the people without natural speaking ability in a negative way. You'd think it wouldn't. You'd think, OK, we're giving them every word to say. Uh, but you're, you're so concentrating on that script and those lines and what line comes next that you're not able to. To freely flow and get your your character, your charisma, your natural charisma out there. Yeah, when it's not when it's not your words, there's a natural disconnect, and that comes exactly. through to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And uh, I would be remiss because it didn't make the per- the perfect ten this week, but I would be remiss if I did not point out. Uh, we I mentioned him earlier. Kalisto uh, was given a live mic on Monday Night Raw uh, as he comes out as the cruiserweight champion and proceeds to tell Enzo Amore that he's going to take his title. On Sunday, so uh, still a little work that needs to be done with that guy. <laughs> uh, moving on in the perfect ten. Oh, but you gotta love those moments. Sometimes you gotta love those moments, though. I mean, you just gotta we, sit back and laugh. We talked about it last week because every time they stick a microphone or give a microphone to Kalisto, I think we're all just sitting there going, "All right, what are you gonna say this time?" Because <laughs> waiting for the train wreck. Absolutely, and that's part of the fun sometimes. Speaking it's of train wrecks, Mike Adamley. <laughs> exactly. Uh, great segue because speaking of train train wrecks, we had our second vignette of the Bludgeon Brothers. That's right, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan once again. This time with more forest. Uh, they're standing in the forest in their. I, I, I don't even watch Game of Thrones, but this looks like Game of Thrones gear to me. I don't know. Uh, hoodies with spikes on it and mallets and. I, I don't even know what's happening. I'm pretty sure they killed a cameraman because they hit the camera with the mallet. Um, this is just shit. Um, <laughs> these, two, these two guys, particularly Harper, are incredibly talented, have all the ability in the world. We saw Harper elevate himself to a level where you could have legitimately put him in that WrestleMania match with Orton and Bray last year, and it would have been fine. The crowd was into him. They were chanting his name at arenas. And then they took him off TV. Hasn't been seen really much since. And and now this. This shit. This is what we get from Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. And it seems like every time we see another clip of these guys together, it just gets fucking worse. Well, I will tell you this. I, I have yet to see uh, the clip. that I have not seen this yet. But I am uh, obviously very familiar with uh, the work of both of those uh, those guys. Um, Luke Harper is not going to have any problem uh, maintaining his uh, fan approval through through this, uh, unless he were to get thrown some really off the wall, drastic, awful, god awful gimmick. Um, because Luke Harper uh, never really his him getting over with the fans was never due to charisma. It did help being part of uh, the Wyatt family. Uh, but it's his work in the ring. Uh, he his work in the ring is is so unique. It's very um, aggressive uh, in a unique way. I just think the the way he presents himself in the ring has been what has carried Luke Harper and will continue to carry him through. You know something like this. Uh, I have not seen it yet, but the way you're describing, I don't think it'll be too much of a problem for Luke. Uh, the, the other one though, uh, what what what's his name? It's, uh, Rowan. Rowan. Eric Rowan. Rowan. Eric Rowan. Uh, that one, Eric is one that feels to me still has, uh, was the oddball out even in the Wyatt family. 
Um, didn't he, he just doesn't? It seems like they're. It's going to get to a point, and they're not going to be quite sure what to do with him anymore. Uh, but I think Luke Harper uh, will will do just fine. Um, so, but I'm interested to, to check out this promo and see where they're headed with this. Oh, do yourself a favor and just don't. But uh, in any event, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think these guys actually are a good tag team together. And I still, whenever I think of some of the great tag team matches, I immediately flash back to that two out of three falls match Rowan and Harper had with the Usos several years back. Um, just one of the best tag team matches I saw I've seen in this era. Uh, very underrated performance by both teams. But these guys have all the tools. I just sort of feel like as long as you keep presenting them in the same way you presented them with the Wyatts, people are never going to see them as anything but the Wyatt lackeys. And I think they need a full makeover. Shave the beards, shave the heads, do something different. You can still team them up, but but stop trying to give us a watered down version of the Wyatts. Absolutely, and uh, but the, that's a that's a tricky thing, especially with with the that that gritty, dirty style they're so used to. To to move to anything too drastic away from that would be a fake, for a better word. I think mm. you know the fans wouldn't buy anything uh, completely on the other end of the spectrum, uh, gimmick wise. Uh, so it's a difficult situation, um, and I, like I said, I haven't seen the, the promo yet, and you're saying don't even watch it. <laughs> From the way you're describing it to me, it sounds like it would be a natural progression gimmick-wise uh, for me. Uh, but but once again, I'll give it a look, and we'll, we'll, I'll touch base with you and let you know what I think. Well, you speak of natural progression, but I remind you that the last time we saw these guys on TV prior to this, they were beating the shit out of each other in a feud. So there's been no explanation for why all of a sudden they're buddies again. But another go, It's wrestling logic once again. <laughs> go check out that clip, and we'll, we'll check back with you. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about Roman and Braun in the steel cage, but to elaborate a little bit on that, because it is listed as a separate item, and I didn't realize that when I started talking so much about it last time, um, they did have a steel cage match, and it, for as annoyed as I was that, again, I, I talked about it, the steel cage just being used as a prop, having no real meaning or reason to be there, um, they still put on a hell of a match. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought the work was really good. These two have amazing chemistry in the ring together. Uh, I thought the – now, I had a little bit of an issue with the fact that Kurt Angle banned everyone from ringside and then everybody just showed the fuck up anyway because, you know, nobody respects <laughs> Kurt at all. Wrestling logic. And there will be no repercussions. Yeah, wrestling logic speaks to the cruiserweight division where everyone signed a contract that they can't touch you. But we're going to pause that tonight because that's <laughs> how contracts work. Um, but, yeah, I, this match I, – I, I enjoyed this match right up until the end because, you know, Kane. Uh, but – Overall, these guys seem to be tremendous dance partners. Would you agree? Uh, they are. But what I'd like to touch on what is what is it that you dislike about uh, Kane being brought back into the mix here? I, I just sort of feel like you look at this program. You've got some of the best young talent in this company all in one program. You've got the Miz. You've got Sheamus. You've got Cesaro, who eh, you know borderline on the young talent, but um, you've got Seth and Dean and Roman and all this stuff is going on and even you've got an opening if you want to bring in Curtis Axel and really do something to elevate him to that next level that he's he's been knocking on the door for a while mm. and instead you give the spot to Kane now I understand from a storytelling perspective Kane has a reason Roman's constantly bragging about retiring the Undertaker the Undertaker's his brother there's a family def defending the family aspect to it that, that you can have it make some sense as to why all of a sudden he's there um, but he was a face when he left now he's a heel again 
He was on SmackDown. Now he's on Raw. And I don't necessarily think that this feud... It was bad enough that it was being presented as four on three. We're a month out from Survivor Series, and Miz has already built his five-person team. It just it doesn't sit quite well with me going into the pay-per-view. And here's the other uh, flip side of the coin is that uh, Glenn Jacobs, of course, uh, the the man portraying Kane, is running for office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would think that if they were going to bring Kane back, uh, it would have been corporate Kane. <laughs> and uh, they would have tied it into his, you know, his office run that he's got going on right, right. now. Um, me, I personally, I'm just because um, I, I'm a sucker for uh, nostalgia surprises. I, I, I totally am. Um, and it's a guilty pleasure of mine. So when things like that happen, I, I, I mark out a little bit. It's, it's a little bit of my childhood coming back. Um, it, it, the product has changed uh, today from those days to where um, it makes it harder to to latch on to to the character sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they then there's definitely not um, you don't have a John Cena. Well, I mean, you have a John Cena, but, he, you know, he's a part timer anymore. You don't have a John Cena. You don't have a Stone Cold. You don't have a rock. Um, and uh, the product is watered down. So for me, those nostalgia trips really uh, sometimes is what makes it worth uh, worthwhile tuning in sometimes when the three-hour show starts to feel like a five-hour show. Yeah, and I totally had convinced myself that the, the fifth person was going to be Samoa Joe, so there was an aspect of, of surprise to it, which I did sort of enjoy, uh, similar to the Hardys' return and, and the Dudley Boys a couple of years ago where you really just didn't see it coming at all. So there was, there was an actual legitimate surprise, and I do enjoy that. I just... Yeah don't know what I, I don't know what the end game is here with including Kane into the story but I'll give I, that's a good thing I, I'll give it a chance to play out and see where it goes and uh, speaking of the Hardys too it's still I'd like to touch point on that so disappointed that they still have not been able to uh, you know wrangle up a way to get that uh, broken gimmick uh, working for them yeah and as far as I can understand impact wrestling will be looking for some cash so I can't imagine it would cost them much to buy it at this point right I think they just lost their TV deal in the UK. Oh, the Spike TV deal? I hadn't even heard that. I believe TNA, yeah, they lost their uh, TV deal in the UK, so that's uh, going going away now, too. Oh, they lost their name, they lost their founder, they lost their TV deal. But It's a rough business, man. <laughs> it is, and you know what? Every time we think it's the end of TNA, they, they just kick out at two and a half. It's just the, the certain talent they have. But Oh, you're right. You are absolutely right. There are so many times I thought that company was done for or about to be bought by WWE or somebody else. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy. I cannot believe that it's still going today. And they're, they're launching networks, too. I mean, that's the other thing. Like they, They've just recently launched their global network, which is great since you're no longer global for us. But uh, yeah, so they're, they're still trying to find revenue streams. I'm not sure how it's going to work. They're moving the company up to Canada now, apparently. The next pay-per-view is going to be up there in TV tapings. Uh, and we touched on this in the, in the past in a facility with two bathrooms so in the entire building. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, but and it, speaking of shows of that caliber, just quickly, I did want to throw out there that uh, along with Yesterday and Waltz on Tough TV, mm-hmm. there is some great independent wrestling on that network as well. Uh, oh, Hollywood cool. champion or Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and TCW. I know Championship Wrestling from Hollywood has uh, Justin Roberts and Vicky Guerrero, oh. uh, Alberto Del Rito. I saw on there. Um, 
and uh, Drew McIntyre. So they, they bring some names in. The, the production quality is is close to that of a TNA. So there's other options out there besides TNA uh, with where they've kind of come down to uh, in the indie circuit. That's kind of come up to where TNA is. So um, a little plug for Tough TV and those and those uh, organizations on that network. Uh, but there are there are tons of options out there uh, besides TNA uh, for that level of wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, TNA just happens to be the one that has the national television deal yeah. and Absol- uh, yeah. sort of gets the number two position by default. I mean, you could argue Ring of Honor, too, uh, but it's, it's it's two or three either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of two, we got our second match this week on SmackDown between Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. And I'm just going to say it over two for me. And uh, this was not. Good. I didn't find this entertaining. Um, I, I particularly hate that we're, again, trying to build up Bobby Roode and he loses in his second big match. Um, I see, I didn't catch up on this one. If you fill me in here, because now first off, is Dolph still doing the uh, old gimmicks gimmick? No, well, now what he's doing is the no gimmicks gimmick. So he comes out, his music starts, there's a record screech, because, you know, someone's spinning right. records out back for the entrance music. Um <laughs> And then he walks out with no Tron, no music, no nothing, which, okay, cool. I, I, you know, it plays into what they're doing. Okay, fine. Um, Rude comes out, and they, they had the match at the pay-per-view, which was definitely underwhelming. Last week on SmackDown, they very notably, at least one of them very notably, forgot their lines, uh, had one of the more awkward interactions you'll see in a professional wrestling ring on live television, uh, and followed it up this week with a, a very just underwhelming match. I mean, there was nothing... There was nothing wrong. There weren't, like, horrible botches in the match. It just had no energy. And I talked about this last week. I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, Justin, because we hear all the time about Dolph Ziggler, and he's this great worker, and he's held back by the company. And and I think to myself, he's been put in there with some of the best workers in the company. And I found, he's a former world champion, too. I found his interactions with Nakamura to be really lackluster. Um, his story with the Miz was great, but I think the Miz carried a lot of that. Um, and then you look at this and it's sort of, it's just like, I I don't see, you can't have great matches with Nakamura and Bobby Roode. I don't know who you could have good matches with at this point. Yeah, there, there seemed to be a time, there was some type of shift that happened with Dolph. Now, I, I want to go first off and say, I am a huge Dolph Ziggler fan. Um, for a while there, I would tell anybody that would listen that he was the next Shawn Michaels. Um, huge fan of Dolph Ziggler. Apparently, when um, purchasing his gear, he thought so too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I do know that he started to get a bit of the injury bug, uh, which which slowed his progress at least for pushes. Um, and and somewhere in the middle of that uh, happening. It seemed his kind of uh, brash bravado uh, that he had sort of turned into this kind of whiny, uh, you know, I'm getting looked over kind of thing that took a bit away from from what he was doing. And then on top of the in-ring work, you're right, there were matches that for me – I was so excited for Nakamura and Mm -hmm. things like that that really I felt should have – been you know could have been match of the year candidates if if they were worked properly um and then like you said it wasn't that there were botched moves it wasn't any just like it was just a wrestling match and 
um, that the, there was not enough emotion uh, put into the storytelling throughout those matches. Um, so I am a huge Dolph Ziggler fan. Mm-hmm. And I thought he had uh, and still has everything you would want to be a superstar. Uh, the, he, he can talk on a microphone. He's got the look. He uh, he is technically gifted in the ring. Um, but now it's gotten to the point where I feel like he's kind of he's being used to enhance other talent. And he might have kind of missed the boat on, uh, you know, getting that super shot when he was uh, had that shot and where he was world champion for a short time. Uh, but you're right. It did. It, it, it has bled over into the ring work uh, where the the matches he's he's had are just not as exciting or emotionally charged storytelling wise as they used to be. Yeah, and I sort of feel with him that there's just an element of, of the way they've told his story for so long. You can't the underdog story is great when you're telling it, but eventually at some point the underdog has to win. And that just never seems to happen with him. He always seems to be the guy that that tells his story of this is my last chance, and I, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to have to walk away if I can't win. And then he doesn't win, and he doesn't walk away. And, and that's what I don't like about. And I, and with this, I'm not sure if it's if it's a, uh, you know, the creative team who's kind of put this spin on it, or if it's uh, genuine with him. Uh, but when you start out the gimmick. Uh, as the guy that introduces himself to everybody when they already know your name. Hi, I'm Dolph Ziggler. Uh, you know, with that smile and uh, just that cocky attitude, when you you kind of take a lot of that away when you turn into this whiny guy about, you know, getting looked over and things like that. And uh, it, it really has caused his uh, character to suffer uh, yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, really I, has. I don't think we've ever actually established what his character is. He's just good wrestler guy. You know, he he is. He's always felt kind of like a cross between uh, he's obviously heavily influenced by Shawn Michaels. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, but I think for me personally, he's not as technically gifted as as Shawn Michaels was. But I I think he had the the, the talent to possibly be better on the microphone than Shawn Michaels. Oh. Oh, you're, I, you're hitting me where it hurts, Justin. <laughs> I'm not saying he is, but I think he has the talent that if 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 things had worked out better for him up to this point, and he had gotten, uh, if the stars had aligned and he was the top dog for a little bit longer, um, I, I think you know I think he's really good on the microphone. Um, I just think the problem when he when he does his ang- when he seems angry, it's not a tough angry, you know, it, it's a it's a Weasley kind of. Uh, weak, angry, you know, a, a whiner, angry, and that's not. Uh, he needs a little more aggression uh, with his character to kind of bring get back to where he was before the cocky, uh, arrogant, you know, guy that you know went around introducing himself to everybody uh, fifty times, whether he's met him a hundred times or not, you know. Yeah, I sort of feel like he has two speeds on the microphone. He's either playing the I'm underappreciated gimmick or the I'm overlooked gimmick. And it's sort of always been one or the other. And I think, again, after a while, the audience just disconnects. They've heard this before time and time again. Yeah, you cannot do that kind of talk uh, for an extensive period of time because, like I said, it it just starts coming off as, as whiny. And people are like, well, you shut up already, you know, because we've seen you. Well, you've obviously been whining about this for for almost two years now in front of us. We still see you here. You've gotten many opportunities, obviously. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of old. It's just kind of worn thin. And they really need to kind of I don't think they need a full repackaging of Dolph, but they need to get back to roots with him. 
Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. Obviously, they, they did give him the win over Rude. I don't know if this is sort of signs yeah, just, that... Yeah, opposite momentum before you get to you know pay-per-views and things like that. Yes, because if there's one thing WWE announcers tell us all the time, it's that the most important thing is momentum. <laughs> yeah, it is. You want to know who's going to win the pay-per-view? Whoever lost the last house show, or the last the run-up show to it. Uh, when it comes to momentum, here's a match that had none of it. We had a six-woman tag mess on Monday on SmackDown this week. Uh, we had Charlotte and Becky and Naomi with no real entrances taking on Tamina, Natalia, and Lana. Because yes, now Lana's a wrestler again after she was a manager again, and then she was a wrestler. again. And, and I, I can't she can be track. whatever she wants as long as I keep her on TV. I'm fine. Well, I just sort of feel like if she's gonna go back to being a manager, just put her back with Rusev because that's when she's at her most effective. That's when he's at his most effective. I feel like neither one is as good without the other, uh, and neither one of them has had any real sustained success since they split. And I don't need more Tamina in my life. She doesn't add anything to Tamina because Tamina doesn't just doesn't bring anything for me. But if I could be just a man for a moment, uh, you know, the upside to Lana wrestling is that she's in, you know, less clothing. Uh, so there's always you just got to look at the glass half full. Oh, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm perfectly <laughs> OK with Lana in, in the outfits. That's not a problem for me in any way, shape or form. Uh, but when you're portraying a women's revolution and you're 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 putting out Mae Young classics and, and you're really pushing the we care about the in-ring stuff and then you put her out there with probably a good foot and a half between Charlotte's foot and she's bumping for it. Um, <laughs> it's just on live, it's just not a good look. She's just not ready for it. And I'm, I'm a proponent of leaving her in the ring. I think she could have, because her character work is so strong, I think she could have a good run, run as a female wrestler. And I think she's sort of being pigeonholed into that Eva Marie spot that Eva abandoned a while oh. back um, of, of, like, the good-looking girl who can't really wrestle, when I would rather just take the good-looking girl and fucking teach her to wrestle. And that, that was, that was well, they tried. That, and that was the worst. Trust me, man. When I first saw Eva Marie, um, I mean, they were, she blew me away uh, with how beautiful she was. Um, I was really jealous for her, a second, and then you said away. But <laughs> they gave her so much time. They, they they trained her nonstop. I mean, she had so much time to yeah. get get a minimal hang of things. And it is, at least from my perspective, mind boggling um, how bad she was <laughs> after but, all that time. You know, we hear all the time about she had, she had you know she was working with Kendrick and all that stuff. But you got to keep in mind. She was being used on every promotional tour, everything where they were doing personal appearances, doing the Total Divas stuff. So they had her sort of, for lack of a better Stretched phrase, in. yeah, pimped out and, and doing so many other things that I think it took away from. She needed, hey, here's six months, continuous. Go to the performance center every fucking day. Do the drills every fucking day. Do nothing mm. else but wrestle. And I think she would have been fine because I got to tell you, Probably the biggest smoke show this company's had in quite a while. Uh, just, oh yeah, absolutely stunning woman. Uh, uh, yeah, and that the gimmick they were running basically 
at the end before she was released about, you know, just having those wardrobe malfunctions just to get her out of matches so she didn't have to wrestle. Was <laughs> That's how bad it had gotten. We're going to come up with a gimmick where you don't have to wrestle. But that was, that was even that was great because it was creating so much fucking heat. She had nuclear fucking heat at that point. Um, she, you're, you're a heel manager. She had the kind of heat heel managers fucking dream of. Um, just by being there. And that was sort of the beauty. She was, people just fucking hated her naturally. And they did a good job of playing up on that. I don't know the inner workings of what happened and I'm not going to sit here and speculate. Um, but it definitely feels like there's, there's an idea that maybe Lana could fill that spot. And, you know, again, same deal. Send her, send her off TV, send her to the PC, let her actually learn how to wrestle and, and so that she can carry this match, to carry in her part in these matches when they come out. But we'll see where it goes down the road. I, I just get her away from Tamina. She's going to manage how her manager is because it's just better that way for everybody involved. Um, speaking of, of things that are better, we had another great, great tag team match between Sheamus and Cesaro and The Shield. Uh, we've seen them, obviously, quite a few times. The pay-per-views... Uh, through teeth getting knocked out. We've had a lot of stuff go down in this feud. Uh, I thought this might have been my favorite match, honestly, and the other ones have been good, but this one just sort of felt more fast-paced. I know they had less time to work with because they're on the constraints of Raw, but it just felt like they got everything in, everything moved, the transitions were fast, everything was crisp, everything was done well. These guys are obviously four, four great pros, but I feel like sometimes... When you give these tremendous talents less time to work with, sometimes you can get a better product. Uh, yeah, sometimes I definitely want to uh, touch base there with uh, Cesaro and Sheamus. Um, and I haven't seen uh, this week's SmackDown, so I haven't seen the the match uh, that was on this week. And I only caught a recap of Raw. Uh, but everything that I've caught of Sheamus and Cesaro, uh, regardless of who they're in the ring with, has been tremendous matches. Uh, they are having tremendous match after tremendous match, regardless of who they're working with. And um, it's at the point now where uh, I don't want to miss a pay-per-view match that they're on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's very likely that's going to be one of the best matches of the night. Right. They're doing some phenomenal work right now. Yeah, and, and it seems like sort of funny because Cesaro seems to be that guy that, well, we don't know what to do with him. We'll just throw him into a tag team. And then the tag team's great. His his tag yes. team with Tyson Kidd was fucking phenomenal. And if mm-hmm. Tyson hadn't gotten hurt, you know, God knows where they would have ended up. But See, yeah. now that's some of the best things. That's where we touch back with the Roman Reigns things. Those are things that they just kind of were an afterthought. They put you out there. And the fans had the opportunity. They had the hand in building them into those stars. So the fans created that, mm-hmm. and that's why it was a, it was a much more organic process where you know Roman Reigns was a manufactured situation. Yeah, but you know what I, I you know and, and you used I let I let it slide. You used the phrase shoved him down my throat, and that's one of my biggest <laughs> pet peeves. Um, but I didn't want to call you on it because you're a guest, but I'm going to bring it up now. No, you go uh, right ahead. You treat me like a family member. I have to I have to ask the question because I ask this whenever people say that oh Roman Reigns is being shoved down your throat, like. This shit is all scripted. Everybody you like is being shoved down your throat. Dean Ambrose is being shoved down your throat. Seth Rollins, and this is this is making me hot, but Seth Rollins is being shoved down. Um, everybody is. So 
this natural idea, like, oh, Roman Reigns is being shot. No, he's not. He's being scripted. Does he get more TV time? Sure, you can make that case. But he's selling merch. He's that's that's what they do. You give him those loud reactions. You boo the shit out of him. You care. That's what you're telling them. You're not telling well, him we don't want this guy. You're telling him this guy gets a reaction and he's going to get more off, time. I first honestly believe uh, Roman um, at this point. Uh, would work much better as a full-on heel. You know, before the Shield uh, reunited, they were, you know, heel overtones to what he was doing. Um, but I don't think he has the charisma uh, to be a babyface. Uh, he, he's not good enough on a microphone to cut promos as a babyface and get things over. He is passable as uh, an angry heel. Um, he's got a great look about him it went with the angry, you know, mad dog face See, uh, as a badass face i think he could work though i think i think as the they, they've tried to make him the rock and have him crack jokes and be funny and that's not what he does see, the rock found his fame uh it, it, it rose as a heel i think if they if if you full go full on heel with mm -hmm. roman uh the fans will in turn start to love him because they're going to feel like that's now that's not what the company wants us to do. They want us to not like him. And he I think he really could be a really badass heel that could turn into that rock or stone cold type of tweener face that the fans really love to see whoop some ass. But see, you just brought up the same thing. And I talk about this all the time on this show when people say he should be turned heel. The problem with turning him heel is that the second you turn him heel, people fucking cheer him. And now you've got your biggest heel on the company being cheered. And that's as big a problem as your biggest face being booed. You look at a guy uh, like no, you no, look no. at a guy like the Miz, and the thing that makes the Miz so fucking great is that even when people want to cheer him, he will find that way. He'll tweak something, he'll say something, he'll pick a different outfit, he'll turn him, and he will get them to boo the shit out of him. I, I don't think Roman can do that. Well, if you look at two of the three biggest attractions in professional wrestling of all time, being Hogan, uh, Stone Cold, and The Rock, two of those three were born out of heels. Um, they were born from cocky, badass mm -hmm. dudes that didn't like or care about anything. And uh, and then what happened while they were heels? The fans started cheering them. While they, Vince didn't want those guys becoming. He didn't want. He didn't think Stone Cold was a face. The fans decided that he was a face, and it happened while he was a heel. Same thing with The Rock. I think the same thing could happen for Roman Reigns. I think it would be. Um, and here's the thing: there are a lot of people that like Roman Reigns. I'm taking you are you are definitely one of the Roman Reigns uh, supporters. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of his talent. I, I think he is tremendously talented in the ring. He's got an amazing look, mm -hmm. um, but his promos are absolutely horrid as a babyface. I think he's like it's like a piece of cardboard talking. He has no charisma, in my opinion, whatsoever. But when he has those heel overtones, um, I find myself being a lot more receptive to his promos. They they feel a little more they feel a lot more real to me than the babyface promos. See, I feel like a little bit more of that came out during the Cena feud, though, when you look at the lines yeah. like uh, the whole zipper thing and, ah, I busted it, big dog. Like, I thought yeah. that was just stuff that was great. Um, yes. And he, he was working off the cuff, and he was saying stuff that was entertaining. And I think I, I sort of saw that light switch a little bit. Uh, and then I think moving him back to the Shield sort of takes him out of that element, too, where he's not forced to be 
on his feet, creative and entertaining. So I don't know. We'll see how that plays out in yeah, the long he term. Seem, he doesn't. He doesn't look like he feels comfortable uh, in that role, in the baby, the big baby face role, and cutting those huge, uh, entertaining promos. He looks timid uh, behind those eyes to me. But when you when you have the ability to turn on the anger and kind of drive, let that anger drive you in the promo. Uh, it, it's a lot easier. Hell, that's one of the reasons I'm I'm a heel. <laughs> I find it so much easier just to be angry and and go for the ride. But to your point with Austin, I don't know that Austin makes that switch as well as he did without a strong Vince McMahon to play off of. And I don't know that there's anyone at that level for Roman. They already tried it with Triple H to kind of be that new Austin McMahon thing, and it didn't work. So, yeah, well, that's not you. That's like one of those lightning in a bottle situations. I mean, honestly. We may never see in our lifetime uh, another feud uh, to the level of McMahon and Austin. I mean, I can't – there's been so many great feuds throughout wrestling history, but one that literally you felt like you could not miss an episode of Monday Night Raw because you did not know what was going to happen – you know, after Stone Cold drove the beer truck to the ring and and filled the Corvette full of cement, I mean – it, it was an amazing time in wrestling, and you're never – I don't think we'll see in our lifetime a feud that is going to reach that pinnacle again. I agree. I agree, and I hope I hope we do. I hope we're wrong. Uh, oh, it absolutely. Be... I, I really hope we're wrong because that was so much fun. That era, to, to grow up and actually live that era and watch it as it was happening was, was fabulous, fabulous. Yes, and if you want to relive that era, may I suggest you go check out our friend uh, Henry Hugepax at the Raw Attitude Podcast where he recaps every episode of Raw during the Monday Night Raw during the Attitude Era. So good listening there. Um, but speaking of perhaps feuds that could be – possibly similar booking to that sort of level without the same heat. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have now teamed up, and now that Shane McMahon's on the shelf, at least for the time being, they've set their sights on Daniel Bryan. And this week at SmackDown was in Seattle, Daniel Bryan's hometown, um, and the show opened with Sami Zayn coming out and really cutting into Daniel Bryan, really, because it's his hometown, and, you know, it's what they do. If you're in your hometown, you have to be made to look like an asshole. Um, But... Talk about how, you know, if you had worked, you know, smarter, not harder, you'd still be active and you were my favorite wrestler until you couldn't do it anymore and just kind of really digging that thing, which means that for the second time, we now have the hottest rivalry between one of your top heels and Daniel Bryan, who can't wrestle him. So we continue (laughs) to tease things we cannot deliver. Well, I but with at least with so, uh, some of the dirt sheets and things of that nature, I know uh, over the past few months there that Daniel Bryan has been speaking about wanting to wrestle again. Uh, I'm sure the company will have huge reservations about that, depending on his uh, physical condition. Uh, but it could maybe it could be something leading up to a one-off match, uh, something you know maybe Royal Rumble, WrestleMania time. Um, so, you know, I, I would be willing to get my hopes up just a little bit for something like that. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that's actually a little bit of a, a tease because we got a little something on that in the news segment. So we'll talk about oh, that awesome. when we get there. Um, but this segment itself and then Owens comes out after Sammy's done tearing into him and Owens tears into him. Uh, Daniel just walks out, um, basically says he's going to find a couple guys to kick their asses. It ends up being Nakamura and Randy Orton. Uh, Orton takes a clean pen to Sammy. Um, then in very strange fashion, they walk back and you go to the gorilla area where Daniel Bryan is waiting for him. And basically they're, they're mocking him. And he says, well, you can take it up next week with Shane. And that was the big reveal is Shane's going to be back next week. Um, 
And then I think they, they had the show timed wrong because after this segment in Gorilla, they sent Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn back out onto the stage in front of the crowd to start yelling about how great they were. It was almost like it was supposed to be the dark segment, but they ran long, they ran short on TV. So it was just really awkward and uncomfortable, especially for Nakamura and Orton, who were just standing there like a couple of assholes while these guys were on the stage. Like, just really awkward timing, but unfortunate. But um, what do you think of the Sami Zayn heel turn? I uh, I love it to be honest with you. Um, that is still the the segment for Raw this week. I have not yet. I know I I was horrible doing my homework getting ready for this podcast, wasn't I? <laughs> um, but um, I did see the pay per view uh, with with him coming out, and I am uh, I'm excited about it. I think it could do really uh, good big things for Sammy uh, going this route. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of his theme song. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, don't know if that, I don't know if that theme song works for a heel though. That's no, no, it does. No, but I'm, I'm not even lying. I, sometimes I throw that thing on in the car. It's just, it makes oh, me it's, wonder. It, it's on my gym playlist. Trust me. <laughs> but I do love the heel turn. I, I think it's uh, about time to have a little different spin on Sami Zayn. We've, we've uh, welcomed him into WWE. Uh, we've gotten to know who he is. So now it's some time to get some real character work, uh, I think, for him. And, and it's it's a perfect time for him to do this heel turn. My only concern with this is I feel like we're, we're going to da- dance around the, the best friends angle with Kevin Owens again. And it sort of feels like going back to that well just a little bit too soon for me. Um, it would be kind of interesting if Jericho does his reappearance here at some point and kind of gets involved in it, um, particularly trying yeah, to convince. That was gold. The yeah. whole, I mean, the whole series with uh, Owens and Jericho was magnificent. Yeah, right um, up until they so... took the title off Owens and made it about the U.S. title, and I think that just kind of brought it all down a notch. Yeah, but the writing uh, for their segments, mm-hmm. um, and, and not even with the wrestling involved, but the writing for their segments and things like that was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and the the list gimmick and the, the best friends, all that stuff uh, was used so well throughout that run. Uh, very entertaining stuff. I don't think that even if they kind of use the, the friends angle and go down, I think they're going to use a different spin on it uh, this way. It's not going to be as entertaining as what they did with Jericho, but it's going to be, I think, really good for Sami Zayn um, to – you know, kind of spread his wings a little bit and and become something a little more, uh, you know, kind of like a like a butterfly, you know, morphing into the next level of Sami Zayn. And as a big fan of Sami, I'm just glad they're finally doing something with them personally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My 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 biggest drawback is, and I said this last week, if you can't look at that fucking guy and make that guy a giant face for you, I don't know if you can build a face anymore because that was silver platter. Here's your next Daniel Bryan style face. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they fucked it up. So, so much so that they had to turn him heel. But we'll see. Maybe this is the thing that gets his career jump started. Maybe then you switch him back to a face. Who knows? Um, speaking of switching faces, uh, it was Finn Balor's turn this week to have some fun with After Effects. Uh, as we were reminded of the horrendous, flaming do- pile of dog shit that Bray Wyatt laid at our doorstep last week, uh, Morphing into Sister Abigail, complete with a bad voice modulator, which they took out in favor of a different bad voice modulator this week in the highlight package, um, because Bray is not there. Um, But instead, they had Finn Balor cut this promo, and then they get the camera zooms in really close to his face, and then it switches to the demon, and then back to Finn Balor, and then back to the demon, and an obvious pre-tape because you they zoomed in close so you couldn't see the crowd and. 
And, and of course, it's not even just the demon. It's the demon in full pumpkin gear, orange and black and, and the whole deal. Um, this is just horrible shit to me. Like, I'm all for Finn Balor. I'm a huge Finn Balor fan. I'm a huge Bray Wyatt fan mm. oh, uh, yes. at the beginning. And, and they've, they've lost me with the promos that, that are just now almost tedious to listen to, what which were once great. And I sort of feel like this guy was designed to be the next Undertaker, mm-hmm. except they dipped way too far into the supernatural stuff to the point where they almost yeah. booked themselves into a corner with it. But also, when you say we're going to book this guy like the next Undertaker, the Undertaker was protected. The Undertaker didn't lose very often, and when he did, it was fucking special and meaningful. Bray's mm-hmm. just been booked to, to not be special. He's a throwaway guy now. Nobody takes he's him seriously. Like a, he's like a top mid-card. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, there's a couple a couple things here. Uh, first, the, the Sister Ab, I think they've completely missed an opportunity with the Sister Abigail angle. Um, it would have been a great opportunity to bring in a female member of the Wyatt family at some point. Um, you know, somebody like Daphne from TNA, mm-hmm. uh, something like that would have been a great uh, addition to something like that. Instead, they use it as a throwaway gimmick as a horror segment. Um, also doing these cinema movie special effects type things, um, for WWE, I think needs to be handled very carefully. Um, so when, when Matt and Jeff, the Hardy boys, when they did the whole thing, uh, in the backyard and, and all of that, it was done so over the top and with such camp, yep. uh, that you couldn't help but enjoy what you were at least maybe not even enjoy but you were being entertained at some level well and they, um, they, were, they were telling the story in a way that they were letting the audience in on the joke they weren't exactly. trying to make it serious exactly so when you try to walk that fine line between fantasy and reality like they did with the undertaker um and you try to use these big special effects like this um it, it's it creates the the, the the ideas are fighting each other you know, is this supposed to be are we supposed to give up our, our belief and, and uh, our suspension of disbelief and go along for the ride because and just it's supposed to be fun and campy? Or is this supposed to be real? And, uh, you know, with the tone of uh, believability, um, you, you have to go, I feel, severely one way or the other, because this tightrope that they're trying to walk between fantasy and reality is just clashing at this point. Um, you either need to go all in or you need to step back a, a, on the the effects and use them in a in a different way. I'm not saying not that, you know, some of the, the Undertaker type effects they used uh, weren't the, with the video stuff. Uh, there were a couple times um, that things were a little outrageous, but just the little things like the lightning strikes in, mm-hmm. in the arena and um, things like that that weren't so unbelievable. Um, the lightning in an arena because <laughs> it's unbelievable. But you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't these back and forth cut shots right. between, you know, one face and the other. And like if you're watching a movie, you either got to go in all in with that and go over the top. So people just go along for the ride or you need to take a step back right. and be a little more realistic so they're not clashing. Yeah, you can't do something where you're going to require, you know, CGI during right. a match. So yeah, exactly. And unless and I guess I should be glad that as we enter TLC, it is not a House of Horrors match. So there is that to look to be happy yeah, about. Yeah, it's like that was how, how not to do that type of thing. <laughs> because the, the Hardys version was so entertaining. Uh, and then you got WWE trying to turn around and, and go, oh, wait, wait, somebody else did this before us? No, we had no idea. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, this is our own idea. This is great, isn't it? Yeah, no, they, they continue to just sort of destroy any momentum they could build for Bray. And they, they sort of had it back with the title reign and then just killed it at WrestleMania to put the belt back on Randy for no real reason. But no. we, we could sit here for hours talking about how they've misbooked Bray Wyatt. But we have a little bit more stuff to come. That is going to finish up this edition of The Perfect Ten, which means if you've listened to this show before, you know we're going to go to the news desk. And we are leading off the news desk this week by telling you that there is a rumor going around that Nia Jax possibly did the same thing as Neville by walking out of last week's Raw at Baker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. The rumors began this week when a Twitter account, the same one that first spread word of Neville's walkout last week, tweeted about rumors of Nia being upset and maybe leaving Raw. Now, Ryan Satin of Pro Wrestling Sheet is reporting that it's unclear if she left Raw upset, but he says the WWE granted her a leave of absence for personal reasons. There's no word on what those reasons would be. Wrestling Observer Newsletter editor Dave Meltzer addressed Satin's report on his website, uh, saying that the rumor of Jax being granted a leave of absence comes from wrestlers in WWE. However, he was told by WWE management that she was, in fact, not granted a leave of absence and left. Uh, WWE wrestlers think the leave of absence story is accurate, according to Meltzer. WWE management says it's not. Uh, so, of course, Nia continuing the long-running streak of people recognizing maybe the grass is greener in a world of independent wrestling where you can make money, similar money to what you're getting in the WWE, in some cases more, depending on your place in the card. Uh, make your own schedule and go and work when you want. And we're seeing this. We saw it with Cody Rhodes, most famously. We've seen it now with Austin Aries. We've seen it now with Neville. Uh, and it certainly seems like they sort of take advantage of the cruiserweights and guys who are in that cruiserweight division who know their value seem to want to get out of there pretty quick after they recognize what's going on. Do you uh do you think uh, we're going to see a trend of more guys jumping ship out of the WWE? You know I hope not. I I have a, a split view on this type of thing. Um, you mentioned you know that these guys uh, get to a point and then of course they could go back to the Indies and and make as much if not more sometimes uh, than what they were making with WWE. Uh, the flip side of that coin is that WWE is is what allows them to make that money. They weren't making that money before. Uh, most of them were not making that money before they went to WWE. It's because they were at WWE that now they can go back to the Indies with that name, formerly WWE so-and-so, and get that money. Um, when you get to what is essentially the NFL of professional wrestling, I see you're wanting to say something. What, what you got? See, I, I would counter that statement with the names like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Marty Skrull and – these, we're just living in a generation where if you get exposure on a major indie, uh, it's almost the same. There's so much buzz. And, and I say this all the time. We live in a world where YouTube has really changed the game for independent wrestlers because so many people can now see you at the click of a mouse, whereas before it was tape trading. You had to wait months, and it was you would build up some buzz on message boards like you were talking about. But now it's, it's instantaneous. If you want to go, hey, I like this guy's match, or somebody's talking about this guy, I can go look him up and watch all of his matches on YouTube. Uh, and, and I think it's just changed the game. And I think there is money out there in the indies that wasn't there before, and there is buzz there that can be made. Is. 
there's absolutely more money out there to be made now, especially with uh, the with the internet, with the ease of people being able to find you and uh, merchandising. Uh, you know, if if you if you get a fan base, um, every show you go to and you're selling your T-shirts and you're selling your eight by tens and whatever gimmicks you got, um, there can be money. But how much more? Even though those guys are great examples to to people who are can sustain a living off of that. Uh, how much more would they be making if they made a trip to WWE and then stepped back down again? I mean, to me, uh, the WWE is the NFL of professional wrestling. Um, you know, production-wise, uh, it's what most every person in the industry attains to get to is the WWE. Most. There are some that just, you know, you got people that just like the art of the craft. They want to get to Japan or something like that. But most people want to get to the WWE. Um, for these people, once you get there, in my eyes, to get to that level um, and not be a team player, uh, to not be happy with uh, your position, um, it just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, you've 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 attained you've attained your dreams. You you've gotten to the brass ring, uh, the 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 top of the heap, and it is a, a team company now. Everybody works towards now. Now, everybody, trust me, I saw you raise your eyebrows there. Of course, everybody wants to get ahead and everybody wants to be the top dog. But the company is not going to succeed with everybody living with that type of attitude. You have to be okay with putting other people over. You have to be okay with uh, it's your time to shine now, but next week it may be somebody else's time to shine. Um, I don't like when wrestlers are walking out because they feel like they're not being used properly. Um, you know, CM Punk's another great uh, uh, example of that. You know, I mean, how much more could, could you want? You're right in my wheelhouse now. Anybody who's listened here knows my – I've gone on many, 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 many rants about my hatred for CM Punk. But that's a different story, <laughs> and we, we can do that another time if you want. Um, in regards to this, I, I think one of the things that, that maybe you're not accounting for – is that some of these issues that, that at least from what you read, if if it's to be believed, is that it's not even about putting guys over so much as it is uh, Austin Aries and Neville both being upset that because they were on the pre-show they didn't get any royalties from the WrestleMania DVD, even though the match was included because it wasn't on the main show. Um, I've heard rumors that some of the cruiserweights are upset because even though their likeness is being used for 2K18, they don't get the same bonuses that the main roster guys do because of some wording in their contract. So you do have a group of guys. These guys gave, especially the cruiserweights, gave up a lot of indie bookings. And short of the championship guys, they're not booked on live events. They're not booked on NXT. They just sit around waiting for you know, hoping for the breadcrumb of a spot on 205 Live on Tuesday night, which nobody's watching anyway. Um, and these guys gave up lucrative careers on the indies with lots of exposure in places like PWG and Ring of Honor and all sorts of very national, very well-noted promotions. And I can see where that would cause some frustration. You're absolutely correct. I, I um, you know, I don't want to mention any names or the, somebody listening. I don't want anybody to get in trouble, but I do have uh, a couple of friends on the cruiserweight division uh, in WWE. Uh, I did see one of them uh, a few months ago uh, backstage at an indie event, and I'm not even thinking. I was like, hey, you know, come on, big WWE guy, you got to go out, you know, make an appearance, just wave something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't, I can't. He's like, I can't even let them know I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even, you know. Uh, so you're right. They, 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 you know, they have to follow uh, different sets of rules under their contracts. <clears throat> the money may not be the same, um, but 
if you look at it, revenue-wise, the cruiserweight division also is not uh, generating a ton of revenue for WWE. Um, you know, of, of course, guys that are on the main roster. But that's roster, not the fault of the talent, though. The talent are the ones well, suffering for the bad booking of the division. Uh, yeah, and it's a catch twenty-two because, um, like, this is where it falls into the guys being able to leave and then continue to make the same kind of money, if not more, on the indies. So I understand where you're coming from. I just don't. I don't necessarily agree with it uh, just because for me and ever since I was, you know, geez, you know, eight years old, WWE has been the be all end all. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a child, I wouldn't even watch NWA, which then later became WCW because I was such a WWE mark. Mm-hmm. So for me to get that kind of opportunity and then after a short time, be like, you know what, uh, I, I'm not appreciating what's being done here. I'm just going to go ahead and leave. Um it just it, it just doesn't sit well with me, and I'm sure they've got their own personal reasons, and and it all makes sense to them, and I, I don't hate them for it, but I just I just feel like man, you you've got you're where a lot of people would like to be, and you're just giving it away. Well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I also think we learned something <sighs> recently when you look at a guy like Mauro Ranallo, who always said it was his dream job, and then he got there and saw what it was like, sort of behind the curtain, and I, I guess yeah. you just never really know till you're there. Uh, Absolutely. But in other news, we have uh, Daniel Bryan, and we talked about this earlier. Um, and while his future in wrestling is unknown, many do expect that he may leave the WWE once his contract expires with the company. Bryan hasn't wrestled a match since April 14, 2015, when he teamed up with John Cena and Cesaro and Tyson Kidd, that should tell you how long ago it was, at a SmackDown taping with Bryan's desire to continue wrestling and WWE's stance on him not allowing him to do so. Uh, with them, because of his concussion history, many believe he will be leaving the company once his contract expires to wrestle on the independent circuit and overseas. The favorite to acquire Brian once his contract expires is Ring of Honor because of their history with the former champion and the matches which they could provide him the promotion with, the likes of which against Cody Rhodes. Uh, during an interview with AVClub.com, Ring of Honor Chief Operating Officer Joe Coff addressed the possibility of Brian wrestling for the promotion again, and he revealed when Brian's contract expires. Coff said, quote, I'm not going to give you odds. I wouldn't even know how to set those. Brian's under contract with the WWE, from what I understand, until September of 2018. If he chooses not to renew that contract and he is able to wrestle from a health standpoint, I would welcome him. It would be a triumphant return. I think we would be the right place for him, the right fan appreciation, the right respect from the industry, plus management, plus everybody. But there's so many variables in that. Even though it's not far away, a year in wrestling is a long period of time. But he is more than welcome back here, and we would love to have him on our roster. End quote. Um, Now, I would say that uh, everything that you just said that could possibly happen, I, I personally think there's a good chance uh, that those specific sequence of events could happen. Um, I, I do believe that Daniel Bryan um, very much wants to wrestle again, very much wants to continue wrestling. And if he's not going to get that opportunity at WWE, um, I do believe he will leave once the contract is up. And I do believe that Ring of Honor would be the perfect place uh, and the most likely place for him to show up. Um, I, I would I would be excited about this news. Yeah, and I've said on here on the past that originally that I was not a fan of the idea of him wrestling again. 
just because we we now know so much about the concussion issues and some of the stories we heard from him in an early standpoint. Uh, then I heard him do an interview on the Edge and Christian podcast where he sort of went through the whole details and everything and maybe what he had originally thought through second, third, fourth, fifth opinions now, he thinks maybe wasn't quite the correct story or things were misinterpreted or mis- misrepresented to him. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've sort of signed, kind of switched sides now. I, I'm kind of in the camp that I think he should be given the chance to wrestle again. Um, I still think that at a certain point when push comes to shove and WWE says he's going to wrestle again, it can either be making money for us or we can allow him to make money and, and draw attention to the competition or, or another company that maybe he could help push up to level of being our competition, I think they're going to fold and they're going to let him back in the ring. We're going to see. I'm fine if it's Ring of Honor. I just, from a from a human, some just on some basic human shit, I do not want to see him go over to New Japan because I do not want to see Daniel Bryan working strong style matches at this point in his life. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. But um, and it would be it would be ideally would be great uh, your version of things to see WWE say you know what. Uh, let's give this another shot. Um, but that's going to all come down to what doctor says what and and who they want to listen to and, once again, how they interpret that information. Um, and it's going to be depending on whether they err on the side of caution or not. Um, hopefully, I mean, everybody wants to see Daniel Bryan wrestle in some form or fashion again. I don't think there's you know anybody that wouldn't want to see him in the ring again. But uh, you're right, not over in, in Japan with a strong style, uh, not with any possibility of, of long-term injury or anything like that. But uh, definitely hoping to see him come back, and hopefully with WWE, if not Ring of Honor. Absolutely. And while we're on the topic of contracts, the current contract for the Universal Champion, Brock Lesnar, has an option that would renew the deal, and most expect that it will be renewed after it expires at WrestleMania 34. According to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Lesnar's last dates under the current deal would be WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans or the post-WrestleMania Raw the next night. WWE also has certain rights with Lesnar that will go through the first week of August 2018 if a new deal is not signed. Regarding the rumors of Lesnar possibly returning to UFC to fight John Jones, the feeling among just about everyone is that the fight will actually never happen. If Lesnar does decide to return to UFC for another fight, it likely would not happen until August since WWE would have no rights to him at that point. The Observer adds that while the WWE has ties to WMEIMG, the owners of UFC, that things aren't so smooth between the two sides. UFC President Dana White has noted that he has a good business relationship with Triple H, but it's more difficult situations to work with Vince McMahon. And that seems to be a recurring theme we hear from people. They have a much easier time dealing with Triple H. Yeah, Vince is more and more sounding just like the the cranky old man. Get off my lawn back there in the back. Uh, Some of his decisions have been somewhat questionable. But still, probably if I ever had my choice of one person in the world to sit down and have a dinner with to to pick their brain would be Vince McMahon still. Oh, absolutely. Uh, MMA Weekly noted that White appeared on the Dan Levitard show this past week and said that he doesn't believe WWE would allow Lesnar to fight again when he's under their contract, saying Vince allowed Lesnar to work for UFC 200 event in July of 2016, but WWE ended up looking bad after Lesnar tested positive for a banned substance. He also said, quote, they don't want to do that again. They saw what happened last time he was under contract, and it doesn't look good for anybody, end quote, which sort of sounds to me like Dana White's not exactly hot to get Brock Lesnar back in the octagon either. Uh, I don't think, uh, probably because he doesn't feel like he needs to right now. Um, I think that the the UFC has, since Brock Lesnar's been gone, 
has gone through uh, plenty of things that has, has helped elevate their their image and, and people seeing them um, the, with Conor McGregor and the Floyd Mayweather fight, things like that. Uh, there's more eyes on the UFC now more than ever. So um, I don't think that that uh, UFC feels like that's an urgency that they need to get you uh, Brock Lesnar back in the, the square, you know, into, into the octagon. Uh, you know, they, they've got enough going on right now. And as much as it would cost them to, to bring him back in, they don't need to do it right now. Not to say that it, it won't happen. I, I would still think I, that at some point we'll see Brock Lesnar at least one more time in UFC. Uh, but, but that may not even happen. So I, I wouldn't get too excited about Brock Lesnar return to UFC, but if it does, it may only be one more time. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I, I just thought even last time WWE didn't really do enough to promote it. I think they were afraid of. No, the, you're right. Well, what if he loses? Then we've spent all this time telling people, you know, this is he's going to go out in this real fight, and then he gets his ass kicked. Then what does that say about our champion? So they were in a tough spot in there, and I don't think there was a whole lot well, they could do depending see, I, on how I it went. I think they're looking at it the wrong way. Uh, just the, the simple fact that he's in that octagon and doing a real fight and holding his own. Uh, is enough. Even if he loses, it still puts him as a better ass than 99% of the people on the roster in the in the WWE locker room. So he still it still legitimizes him. I think either way, whether he wins or loses, of course it's ideal that he wins. Uh, but to be um, as successful as he's been in actual uh, com- combative and competitive sports, um, it has been a tremendous help to uh, his character and and also to professional wrestling. Well, win, lose, or draw, just don't fail the steroid test. That's all they need. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, we talked a little bit earlier about people who sometimes get their dream job only to realize what's behind the curtain, but it has been confirmed that writer Jimmy Jacobs was let go from the WWE last week. According to PW Insider, uh, the former Ring of Honor star picked up some major heat after posting an Instagram photo with the Bullet Club during their, quote, invasion outside of Raw in California a few weeks back. There is speculation on the real reason for the departure of Jacobs, and, and it may have put a ta- he may have put a target on his back when he took some time off to deal with a personal issue before returning to work with the company this past summer. The photo was being used as the reason for the firing, but the time off may have started the process. Jacobs was seen as, quote, one of the boys and well-liked among the WWE talents because he could understand things from a wrestler's perspective. He was responsible for several ideas that clicked with the fans and those in the company mainly the list of Chris Jericho. Jacobs wasted no time in capitalizing on the departure as he released an, quote, unprofessional T-shirt through Pro Wrestling Tees, which features a shot of the selfie that got him fired. Um, I, I sort of feel like the Jimmy Jacobson, he had to have known what taking that picture with the Bullet Club outside the arena would do. I, I almost wonder if this was like a, I want out of this deal and let me see what I can do to make that happen. I would hope not. I mean, I would really hope that that wasn't the case. Um, I would like to think it was just, uh, you know, a lapse of better judgment. Um, you can't – it just seems to me that it's common sense that that's, you don't go around taking pictures with the competition uh, when you're working for a major company like WWE. Um, and, you know, although a lot of people try to say kayfabe is dead, there is always going to be uh, – and a bit there's always going to be kayfabe to to some extent and you have to have that and you got to protect it to some extent uh and that's all wwe is trying to do um I, whether it's a fireable offense I, I may disagree with uh but it's still a 
stupid decision, uh, a stupid thing to do when when you're working for a company like WWE. Yeah, and in, in Jacob's defense, the Being the Elite series where the invasion was actually aired uh, has featured cameo appearances in, in very recent time from Sami Zayn, uh, from AJ Styles, and from Kevin Owens. So if you're Jimmy Jacobs and you're looking at that, you probably maybe think to yourself it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if your on-air talents can do it, I'm just a writer. Half the crowd doesn't know who I am anyway, so... What's the big deal? Uh, obviously, that's, uh, that sort of speaks to what the writer was saying earlier, is that th- there's probably something else. But we talked about the dream job aspect, and I think that speaks to it. The guy, the guy took time off to deal with a family issue, but because, you know, locker room politics and, and one mm-hmm. person not being happy, that you all of a sudden get heat for doing something like that. And I think that's sort of what makes some people unhappy in that locker room, things like yeah, that. You're probably right. There probably is a combination of things. Um, heat in the locker room uh, alone can cost you your job. So if you've got heat in the locker room with you know one or two of the wrong people, and on top of that, now you've added uh, an extra uh, reason for your bosses to not be happy with you, um, it, it just becomes a, a situation like, you know what? It's it's not worth it, you know. It, it was fun while it lasted, but you can go your way and we'll go ours. Um, so yeah, locker room heat is huge. Obviously, with the the situation with Enzo Amore uh, last month, um, so uh, and you hate to see it, honestly. I mean, and, and we've all anybody that's been it, it worked in the business at all, uh, been in the locker room. Um, it's a nature of the business, um, and it's unfortunate. It happens everywhere, uh, but. Yeah, to see somebody uh, lose their livelihood over it, it, it just really sucks. Yeah, absolutely. So Enzo sort of shot himself into a work, though, so he made it work for him. Yes. Uh, he did the reverse of what a lot of people do. Uh, Madison Rain, a five-time TNA Knockouts champion, this week was at the WWE Performance Center. According to Squared Circle Sirens, Rain is among those participating in a tryout this past weekend. According to PWInsider.com, WWE has been interested in Madison Rain since the summer when she was backstage at Raw in Nashville, Tennessee. Rain appeared, apparently left TNA in July as her profile on ImpactWrestling.com was removed that month. Neither side has acknowledged her departure. Since then, she's worked for a few independent wrestling shows. I'm perfectly fine if they want to bring in Madison Rain for a little run in the WWE, just so long as she doesn't bring Josh Matthews with her. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I'm still wondering how he stuck around as long as he did. Uh, you know what it is? I think it's the height thing that I mentioned to you before. The reason why I'm not there, the reason he probably stuck around so long is because he's so short and he made everybody look ginormous. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. But, yeah, Madison Rain, definitely. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we get to see a little bit more of her in the WWE in the future. Another um, of the, the up-and-coming female wrestlers that I'm hoping gets an extra chance was uh, Santana Garrett, who yes. was in the um, May Young Classic um, and uh, – was quickly was taken out in the first round, which I, yeah. I felt horrible about. Um, that was one of the girls uh, up and coming that I was really most looking forward to seeing something happen with. And, and at this point, it looks like it may have just been more of an enhancement for some of the other girls in that uh, tournament. But yeah, I still like, don't know how she hasn't. I still don't know how she hasn't been signed to NXT at this point. But you know, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit earlier about wrestlers doing well outside of the WWE, but Austin Aries let fans know in his last six weeks since working, uh, sorry, in the next six weeks of working at, quote, bingo halls, he'll make more than he did in his last four months in the WWE when he tweeted, 
upcoming six weeks of bingo hall money greater than last four months of big league money. Awesome to see pro wrestling scene thriving around the world. And that sort of echoes the statements we made. I am not a big Austin Aries fan. I'm blocked on Twitter. Um, he has <laughs> he has some beliefs that I disagree with. He has some conspiracy theories, which I have uh, gone toe-to-toe with him verbally about. Um, but in this case, he is 100% right. It's the more money there is out there, the better it is for the boys, the better it is for the business, and I'm all for it. And I will say um... – that I do believe that the whole that Austin Aries, his time in WWE, uh, he was definitely one that was completely mishandled. Like he, the the whole thing from his his um, except for his debut, he first came out, but from there on, the use of him through NXT and everything, he uh, he was capable of so much more than what they were feeding him. And um, I just hate to see that. I was excited to see him come to, uh, despite his you know personal beliefs but as far as a wrestling talent i was excited to see him come to wwe uh, but they i believe they totally mishandled his entire time there yeah he's just badly misclassed being used as a face because that's not his strong suit at all mm-hmm. he's much better as a heel um wwe announced sunday it has signed two female athletes to developmental contracts kavita devi from india and oh, i'm gonna mess this up badly i apologize <laughs> in advance shadia basizo from jordan uh devia basizo are the first women from india and the middle east respectively to receive opportunities to train to become wwe superstars of course kavita devi from india was in the may young classic uh i can only assume that she will immediately become wwe women's champion to tour india that's it, and this is news to me. I'm not familiar with any of them, so now I. This is one of the reasons that I listen to podcasts like yours to keep up on stuff like this. So now you've given me some new information and some uh, some uh, new things to go check out once we get done with the podcast here. There we go, uh, and we will get you out here pretty soon, Justin. I promise. I know we're. Uh, I know we've been running a while, but uh, that is going to do it for the news desk, and that is going to take Wait, us before before we before we end with the news desk. Sure. I have I have one other thing. I'd oh like shoot! To go in. By all means. And uh, I don't know if, if you're uh, much of a gamer, but uh, this Tuesday, this past Tuesday, WWE 2K18 came out for PlayStation 4, uh, Xbox 360, all that good stuff. Or not 360, Xbox One. Um, now, uh, reviews are starting to come out for WWE 2K18. And uh, for me, the go-to site for uh, video game reviews, usually first place I go is going to be IGN. And IGN has put their review out for WWE 2K18, and I have to tell you that I am extremely, extremely disappointed in their review of this game. Uh, I purchased the game on Tuesday. I've literally been playing this thing nonstop uh, since I purchased it. And uh, I just wanted to give, since it's news this week that the game came out, I'd give my quick review that I think the game is way more improved uh, than the past couple of uh, iterations. The My Career Mode, which um, IGN kind of put down as not being uh, too much different. Now that the fact that there's an open roaming space backstage, you can walk around, talk to superstars. Uh, you have decisions sometimes on the shows whether you want to cut a promo that night or do a run-in on somebody's match or actually wrestle a match. Um I spent the first full 11 hours just creating Justin Michaels in the game. There's so much stuff in this game, so I just wanted to add quickly to your news report. If you're seeing any low scores out there for this game, they have no idea what they're talking about. WWE 2K18 is an amazing, amazing game this year, and it's the exactly as soon as we're done with this podcast – 
It's exactly what I'm going to do is be getting back onto WWE 2K18 because <laughs> I can't get enough of it. So I wanted to put a quick review out there for that in your cool. new segment. I appreciate that. Now, I'm, I'm not personally a, much of a gamer. I, I have a, I still rock on a PlayStation 3 that gets me gets me done what I need. But I do have an 8-year-old son who is uh, one of those kids that every year for Christmas we have to get him the new 2K game from uh, WWE. So well, I, I will I, tell you the, that if you see this on a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, graphically speaking, mm-hmm. it will blow your mind. All it right. will play the graphics, the new graphics engine they're using. You, it, you'll think you're watching TV at some point. It, we'll it's, see. Now, if my son, amazing. now if my son listens to this, Justin, now you've, now you've put me in a position where I have to buy a PlayStation <laughs> Four for Christmas. So that's I'll right. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. He'll he be he'll, me a twenty for that. There you go. I'll, I'm sure he's probably got more money than I do at this point. <laughs> uh, in any event, uh, that's going to bring us to our TLC predictions. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting stuff on this card, and we'll we'll run through what we think is going to happen this coming Sunday because it's been a whole week since we had a pay-per-view. Uh, but we are going to have the pre-show match featuring Alicia Fox versus Sasha Banks in a match of why? Uh, you know, it, it, women's <laughs> wrestling. First, I'll go ahead and jump in here. Sasha Banks, easy. Yeah, it, it's got to be Sasha. I don't see, but again, this as rumors were this was originally supposed to be Nia's spot until she walked out, and they kind of threw Alicia Fox in there. Uh, I'm all for women's wrestling. This just sort of feels like one of those. Hey, we got two women, and and I, one of the things I hate with the women's wrestling is when they book it just based on the bitches be crazy premise, which is sort of what they're doing here. Like, oh, uh, I lost a match, so I'm going to attack you and pull your weave out, and it's just. It's stupid shit like that. These these girls. Well, Sasha is capable of much more than that. Uh, oh, yeah. Match two, uh, cruiserweight tag match. Uh, good for these guys to be on the pay per view. Uh, Brian Kendrick and Jack Gallagher teaming up to take on Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan. Not a big fan of the Jack Gallagher character since they switched him over. He seems sort of, I don't know. I don't like him wrestling in his street clothes. It's just, and it's a bad look to me. Uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Cedric Alexander. I've been pushing him on this show for a long time. Uh, Rich Swan, also one of my favorites. I'm going to go with Cedric and Rich in this one. Uh, I too, am going to go with Cedric and Rich. Uh, Rich, actually, one of uh, one of the friends uh, that I have from the indie days that has moved up into WWE now. I'm very proud of seeing him uh, on the show. Saw him on the Royal Rumble last year. Uh, former cruiserweight champion, so definitely I, I'm with the same pick with you. I think Rich is doing great things, and uh, so is Cedric. See, Justin's falling right in line with me already with name dropping <laughs> people you've worked with on the that's Indies. Right. So that's that's what we do. Oscar uh, takes makes her WWE main roster debut, taking on Emma, and I think it's pretty clear Emma's winning this thing. <laughs> I hope you're not serious. No, no, no. Well, the way they book the women these days, who the fuck knows? Because you know. Yeah. We've seen what they did to Bailey, but no, I'm pretty sure Oscar's coming out on top here. All right, you. I did like the stone face. The viewers may just be listening, but of course, for you guys listening at home, we can see each other here over Skype. And he said that so stone faced, like he was serious. And even when I laughed, he didn't break kayfabe. I thought he was seriously predicting Emma to win. I, I was going to have to question you. I, I told you I know how to work here. Huh? <laughs> I work the job. camera, buddy. Good job. So you're going with Emma, is that? No, 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 absolutely not. Oscar, <laughs> absolutely all the way. Okay, Oscar all the way. Uh, Cruiserweight Championship going to be on the line as Kalisto defends the title he won 10 minutes ago against former champion Enzo Amore. Uh, Kalisto, not sure he's defending the title. He thinks he's still fighting for Enzo's belt, but that's a whole other issue. Um, 
I think this has to be the, the, the whole throwing the title on Kalisto things was just another case of hot potato with the belt. I think it's mm-hmm. going to go right back to Enzo. I'm with you once again here on this one. I also believe uh, it's just another high-profile uh, area to get eyes on Enzo winning that title and uh, doing something with it and giving him a little more of a push on that. Yeah, and I have a feeling this is going to somehow end with David Arquette as the Cruiserweight Champion, but we'll oh, see. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> uh, more championship action. Is the Raw Women's Championship going to be in the line? We talked about this. Alexa Bliss defending that title against Mickey James. Um, Justin, you can go first on this one. Uh, we're going to go with Alexa Bliss. Uh, just for the fact, you know, as great as Mickey James is doing with this, I do believe she's at the uh, the place in her career where, you know, she, she's here to make the uh, the newer talent look as good as they can. Mm-hmm. So uh, from a business perspective, I'm going to say that Alexa Bliss is going to take this and be further elevated by it. Yeah, and, and I think this is one thing we've all learned over the last couple of years with the way they booked this women's championship is that we don't have a fucking clue what they're thinking. Uh, the smart move is for Alexa Bliss to hold on to the title here, so... You know, they'll probably put it on Mickey, but I'm going to go with Alexa. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, in a match where I may change the channel, uh, the demon Finn Balor is going to take on Sister Abigail. And yes, that is how it's being fucking billed. The demon versus Sister Abigail. That's the fucking graphic on the show. Just saying. Uh, Justin, which flaming pile of shit do you prefer in this one? Uh, well, here, first off, let me say that on paper... This feud should have been off the charts. Yep, agreed. Um, it, it should have been just something that we talked about ten years from now. Um, with with the talent on both sides of this, it's it's boggling the mind that uh, that it's it just feels like it's being so mishandled. Um, as far as a winner, uh, this one's a toss up uh, for me. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and go with Finn. Uh, only because I believe uh, they're going to be more concerned with getting him, you know, past this point and elevating him than they are Bray. I kind of feel like Bray Wyatt's already um, had his time to shine, and I think uh, the momentum is with Finn Balor right now. So I'm going to go with Finn. All right. Well, I think this is – I believe this is the first time we're going to disagree on this one because I think at this point uh, Finn's beaten him as Finn. He's beaten him as the Demon. I think if you debut this Sister Abigail thing for as much horseshit as I think it is, it is something you're trying new. It is the debut of this. I don't think you can then have the demon beat him again. Uh, I think it would kill any momentum that you could potentially build on in a future appearance, maybe from Sister Abigail. Um, I, I think as much as I fucking hate myself for saying this, I think Sister Abigail wins this match. <laughs> there we go. You may be right. That may be the call at the end of the night is that Sister Abigail actually wins that match. You're right. Uh, and that, of course, brings us to the main event of the evening. The Shield will take on Braun Strowman, The Miz, Kane, Cesaro, Sheamus, Jerry Lawler, Stiff, uh, Iron <laughs> Mike Sharp, um, just every, anybody <laughs> who's available. Over. Yeah, anyone who's available that night will just be allowed to jump in the ring. Um, this is an interesting one to me because I think on paper originally you looked at it and said, oh, this is easily the shield. Um, then you look at the fact that the Miz has kind of built a five-man team. We're a month away from Survivor Series. I could easily see the Miz, Kane, Cesaro, and Sheamus, and Strowman winning this match somehow through nefarious means, whatever it ends up being leading us to Survivor Series where the Shield gets two more partners, and then you have your five-on-five. Five. 
as much as I can see that happening, I still cannot bring myself to pick against the Shield, so I'm going to go with the Shield in this. Yeah, and I, I too am going to go with the Shield, only uh, also because looking at the rest of the card, um, there's not, there doesn't seem to be the potential for a huge pop-worthy moment uh, mm-hmm. for the fans to go absolutely bonkers about until you get to that main event match and that bonkers moment being the shield winning yeah uh because the uh you know they they've got the fans that was instant uh, nostalgia everybody's behind the shield everybody loves it everybody's back with roman reigns when he's mm-hmm. with the shield so uh yeah it just it, they're going to need a big nice happy moment for the crowd and there's not anything else on that that card that that sh- jumps out to me to give that to them so Shield to end the night with a big happy note for all the fans to go home with a smile on their face. Yeah, the triple powerbomb to Kane will probably be the go-home spot, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, interesting to note, just as I'm looking through this card, uh, three women's matches on this pay-per-view crowd, four if you count Sister Abigail. So, you know, good <laughs> stuff, women's revolution. Uh, so that's going to do it for the TLC predictions. Now we're going to run through a couple of uh, quick upcoming indie dates for those who are those of us who are working on those, the indies. Uh, and those of us who are just big fans. Uh, so we'll start up in Troy's area of the woods, Wisconsin, with Brew City Wrestling as they bring the 12th annual Halloween Spooktacular Show, Friday, October 20th at the Columbus Club of West Alice, 1800 South 92nd Street. Nightmare on 92nd Street is the event, featuring the costume Royal Battle Rumble. And, yes, that is apparently typed correct. Uh, bell time is 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 6.45. Tickets are $20 reserved ringside. General admission at the door, 18 and 16. Or you can order on Brew City Wrestling 1, that's the number one, dot com, using PayPal. At intermission, there will be a contest for best costume for adults and kids. That's not one costume of them together. That's two separate divisions. Uh, already signed, Bruce City Wrestling Heavyweight Championship, Max Holiday versus the Tokyo Monster, Kahangas. We have the Intergender Tag Team Championship match, the King of Ice Cream, Tyler Sunday, and Blue Phoenix, Vanessa Azur, taking on the team of Evil Threat, that is Evil Dis and Evil Sierra. The eight-man tag team, there's an eight-man tag team battle featuring Team Michigan, Malice, Cobra TA, and the Nomads versus Team Wisconsin, Russ Jones, DW Ebe, Onyx Andretti and GFW, I guess it's Impact Wrestling star, Marche Rocket. Marche Rocket, sorry, excuse me. Uh, 12th Annual Costume Royal Battle Rumble, because it's written that way again. That's how I know it's really, that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, AIWF Women's Championship, Tenshi defends against the Midwest Slayer, Stacey Shadows. Scooter, I'm uh, sorry, Shooter Scott Marciano versus AC Riley. Card is subject to change. Follow them on Twitter at BCW1 or on Facebook at Brew City Wrestling 1. That is Brew City Wrestling. I am going to tell you about Liberty States Wrestling because that returns to the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Massachusetts. Saturday, October 21st. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Bell time is 7. Tickets are just $10 at the door. Josh Briggs versus Brick Mastone. Todd Sopel issues another open challenge for the No Limits Championship, and Christian Casanova defends the Liberty States Heavyweight Championship against Ilya Markopoulos, and there are some names on that list that you're going to be seeing in the WWE in the not-too-distant future, I can guarantee you of that. We have DOA Pro Wrestling as they present Halloween Hysteria Saturday, October 28th at the Waddles Boys and Girls Club in Southeast Harold, Portland, Oregon. Uh, in the main event, clash of arguably the two best wrestlers in the Pacific Northwest, DOA Grand Champion Ethan HD versus former champion Mike Santiago. No countouts, no DQs, and no time limits. It's a super clash of the crazy versus the weird in Halloween Hysteria's co-main event 
as the unholy duo of Dr. Luther and the Devil Drexel take on the weirdo hero Ravenous Randy and the warlord weird warlord of weird Sin Bodhi. Some of these names, I've seen a lot of indie names, but man, some of these that I read on these these things just... Well, oof. Sin Bodhi, that's uh, Kazarni, uh, who was in WWE for about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, but the Warlord of Weird, like the Ravenous oh, Randy, <laughs> Weirdo Hero. There's just a lot of interesting choices by guys. Uh, DOA Pure Championship, three-way dance. The champion Julian White takes on HBQ Quiz and CJ Edwards. Uh, DOA Halloween Hysteria brings you a battle of the brawlers as the Lion of the Pacific Northwest, Wade Hess, takes on the former gentleman but always a brawler, Eric Wright. More matches will be announced soon. Advanced tickets are available now at doaprowrestling.com slash tickets. Advanced ticket prices, VIP front row 15, general admission 12, kids 8. Tickets the day of the show at the, are, at the door are $3 more and are cash only. ICW returns on 1029 for the TLC Insanity at La Pica Lounge on 35 Lincoln Street on the south side of Milwaukee. Doors are at 3.30 with a 4 p.m. bell time. All seating is $15. This is Milwaukee's only R-rated pro wrestling. The ICW title TLC match. The Greek God takes Gio Giannis. GQ Giannis takes on Stacey Shadows. In a number one contenders match for that championship, the Jet Joey Avalon takes on the no-ma'am leader MAC. In a first blood match, high-class Mo Foley takes on Pitstain, which I'm a big fan of Pitstain. <laughs> a Lego Madness match, former rundown sit-down guest, the fabled one, Aesop Mitchell, takes on Dysfunction. The ICW Midwest title will be on the line when Sean Priest takes on the Riot starter, Vinny Riot. Drug-free Jack Blackwell takes on Pitbull, which is different from Pitstain, Zach McGuire. The Kid, Vinny Scarponi, takes on Shooter Scott Marciano. ICW Tag Team Champion Sierra versus No Man member Tyler Sunday. Jacob Hoffman versus Kato. And I'm list- sorry, I'm listening. To, you're, you're rattling through <laughs> at some of these names. And at some point, it, it almost feels as if you're you're doing a Saturday Night Live sketch or it, something, it, a parody. It, it <laughs> does, yeah. There's definitely an element of that sometimes when you're reading through these. that it's like, wow, really? That's all the names in the world, and those are the ones you went with. It's it's always but I mean that's that's part of the love of pro wrestling. I mean you just never know what you're going to get, and the ridiculousness of it all is is part of its charm. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you interested in checking out a show, I will be on uh, once again. UFO Wrestling is back with its annual Thanksgiving Eve event featuring the Turkey Rumble as we present Harvest Havoc 2017 on Wednesday night, November 22nd at 7 p.m. This event is a fundraiser for the Tynan Community Center, which is where the event will be held. Matches announced so far. The main event for the UFO Heavyweight Championship, the Kingpin Brian Malonis defends against the Dynasty Bo Douglas. In a no countout, no DQ match, Evan Six takes on Aaron Amadeus and Tim Lennox in a triple threat. The selfie-made man Vern Vicalio takes on Ilya Markopoulos, Furio Falcone versus Osiris. The cool people will make their first defense of the UFO Tag Team Championships against Team DTF, Dan Terry and Channing Thomas. Davian takes on Belmont, and Benny Jux has issued an open challenge for any for any competitors to face him in a fatal four-way. Also, Adira will make her UFO wrestling debut, and we bring you the annual Turkey Rumble. Several competitors have already been announced, including Chetting Thomas, Connor Tice, the Castle Island Assassin, Sully Banger, King Leon the Sixth, Ike, Johnny Analog, the SOG Ronnie Ribs, and many, many more. More matches will be announced shortly. Front row seats are $15 in advance, 20 at the door. General admission is 10 in advance and 15 at the door. You can reserve your tickets safely and securely through the Friends and Family 
a feature at PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Patrick Dillon, title it Havoc. Search for UFO Wrestling on Facebook for more info. After uh, Harvest Havoc, UFO Wrestling is back in action the following Friday with Black Friday, November 24th at 7 p.m. from the Bell Time Club, 40 Broadway Street, Wakefield, Mass. The only match announced so far is that the UFO Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as the selfie-made man, Vern Vicalo gets his title shot that he earned almost a year ago prior to getting injured. His opponent will be determined by the main event at Harvest Havoc. Tickets are $10 general admission, and if you purchase a general admission ticket to Harvest Havoc, you can purchase a Black Friday ticket for just $5. I will be on both shows, so I encourage you to go to both shows, but that's just me. That's going to do it for the rundown for this Wednesday, October 18th. It has been 150 days since anyone gave a shit about the WWE Championship. (laughs) And if you chase the timeline, you'll see why. Go to audibletrial.com slash rundown for a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. You can follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Go to Facebook for facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. You can email the show at rundownwrestling at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail because that's still a thing at 617-863-6967. That is 61Rundown7. We are still on Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become a patron. Currently, we have only one reward level, and that is the Rundowner. And for $5 a month, you will get access to a Patreon-only episode of the Rundown. And you check out Troy on the Slasher Sanitarium if you are a fan of horror. And listen to our good friends, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, and Mike Crockett on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing with new podcasts every Monday and Thursday. Quality audio. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash DWPAN. And, of course, you can check out our new friend Justin Michaels on his show, Yesterland Waltz. It is Yesterland Waltz. Uh, We are on Tough TV. Uh, If it's not on your local cable provider, uh, then you can find them running a live stream of their channel 24 hours a day at live.toughtv.com. And that is T-U-F-F-T-V, toughtv.com. Now, we're on... Thursday and Saturday nights, 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if you don't catch it live, we the first three or four episodes we're going to upload to YouTube, so you can catch the first three or four episodes of the first season um, there. Uh, from that point, you're going to need to set your DVRs and watch us on Tough TV. Um, and uh, we, as mentioned earlier, got picked up for that second season, so um, after only a few weeks, so people are watching it. We do uh, thank everybody for their support, and if you're new to it, Find us on YouTube, find us on Tough TV, and find us on Facebook. And I know for a fact that I've watched the pilot episode as well as the second episode on YouTube, so they are up there and available if you want to check them out, uh, and I encourage you to do so. Justin, I appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, You can subscribe to the Rundown Podcast to hear all of our shows, including NXT Revisited, The Rundown Sit-Down, WrestleMania Salvation, Glow Shtick, and the Nitromania Podcast. You get all those shows for the price of absolutely free with one subscription. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate you coming out and hanging out with us for a little bit. Thank you for having me on. It's been all my pleasure. Trust me. Thank you to Ray Williams for our logo. Thank you to myself for our theme song, which I happen to think is exquisite. Uh, Next week, we are going to bring you the results from TLC and so much more. Please tune tune in next week for another edition of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. And Justin, we'd love to have you back sometime if we can uh, get the schedules to sync up. Absolutely. I would love to come back. Once we get the second season rolled in Yesterland Waltz, I'd be happy to come back and do another show with you. Awesome. We'd love to have you. That is going to do it, fans, and we will see you next Thursday. 
The Rundown Wrestling Podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by Adam Salzer and is produced and edited by Jason Stewart. This week's episode was hosted by Jason Stewart and Justin Michaels. I guess we're a member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. You can check out all of their shows, including our other wrestling shows, the Raw Attitude Podcast and the New Blood Rising Podcast. They've got a show about tacos, something involving anime, and other shit at questendnetwork.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast.